Hello, everyone. How do you do? Welcome back to the mythical lands of Flying Sidecar, a voice actor's venture through Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Hey, folks, how are you doing? What's up, you nerds? <laughs> Hello! Welcome back! It's time to do a stream that we haven't done in a while. Yeah, Tanisha, it's bit. Hey, Tanisha. It has been a minute. Orly Rose, thank you very much for the sound update. I appreciate that greatly. Let's see how it's looking on Twitch. My my my, my bars look good. My little green bar. That looks pretty good. <laughs> Jade says, I've got a question. Ever since the night we uh, read through the Clue screenplay, when I join a live stream, I get the push to talk button. I definitely should not be having that. Anyone have suggestions as to how to get rid of it? Honestly, Jade, that's probably on the permissions end. Let me see if I can uh, let me see if I can edit this right now. Um, go ahead, you can connect. Good. You cannot request to speak. Now, what's up with that? That is, I mean, that's the way it should be. But that means that I'm very confused as to why you are getting uh, the sort of display that you're getting right now. I do not know. I will tell you, however, Jade, that uh, as you are uh, not, like, you, you have not been bopped up here as a speaker, I don't believe it's going to work for you. Now, why it's still giving you the prompt, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, Jade, I think that uh, that should be okay. Even if you do accidentally tap the push-to-talk button, you should be all right. Okay, gang. All right, my fabulous, fabulous nerds. How are you doing? I see Orly Rose, Jade, Sander, and Doc over in Discord. And over on Twitch, I'm seeing Luis. Hyper. Hyper, welcome back. It's been a little while since you hung out with us. Um, Tanisha. Luis. And that's never as like a... <laughs> I realize I say that sometimes. And I'm realizing right now, maybe it, sometimes it could come off as like a... Uh, where you been? You just, you just stick your head back in here whenever you darn well feel like it. Well... That ain't how it is. I just miss you. It's good to have you back. Uh, Luis, how you doing? Doing okay? Starting to gather my winter food supply. Winter wood supply. <laughs> we'll try that again. Um, yeah, the winter wood supply. Good. That's good to know. Yeah, how do you how do you typically do that? And is that a lot harder because a lot of that stuff has already been sort of pre-fired this year? How you doing, Luis? I gotta, ch hey, gang, I gotta chill out. I have to chill for a second. You hear like, do you hear how loud I'm yelling? There's no reason for me to be doing that. I gotta chill. I gotta chill. I gotta preserve my voice. Not particularly long chapters today. Um, but for that reason, I figured now would be an opportune time to check out some of our sound bites. Do you want to talk about some sound bites, everybody? I have to decide which one or ones I'm going to do really quickly here because this is one of our first uh, of the post, I don't know, what would we call it? Like the post, the official run. You know what I mean? The official one. <laughs> uh, let me see. I'm trying to see. So I'm, 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 of course, like, this is early run. I'm still getting used to it. I'm still figuring out how this, how this sort of needs to work for us. 
I got to sort out when people are listening. I got to sort out where people are listening. Uh, and as such, if you can't catch them live, I do, of course, apologize. But uh, in the future, I am definitely like my, my aim is to as much as possible, make sure that people uh, people are here when I read their soundbite, because we have got uh, a nice little lineup this week, uh, this month, I should say. Uh, we have got we've got one from Kibo. We got one from Dahlia. We've got one from Jade Dragon, we've got one from Good Courage, and one from Tenacia. Now, the uh, Good Courage, you put in a little bit of a longer one, so I think I'm going to I'm gonna preserve that one. That one might be, I mean, it seems very, like, very classic, uh, classic lit to me, that yellow wallpaper. So we may jump on that one on a Tuesday, if that works for you. I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know if Good Courage is in right now, but we're going to have to find out. Uh, I can ping over on Discord. Um... Sparkle, love good, hello. Uh, but then, of course, we got Tanisha, uh, but Jade. Jade, I think we can jump on yours today, can't we? Jade has put in one called, uh, that I, I have tentatively, it doesn't have an actual title. I'm realizing that right now. Um, where's it at? Here we go. All right. Now, everyone, welcome to the first official Sound Bites after, uh, after Book Fair. Let's take a look at this thing really quickly because this was a fun little... Ooh, can I just drag and drop it in here? How good would that be? Can I just... What if I could just... Can I just copy and paste it? What if I could just put it right up here? Right up here? No. No dice. Uh, let me see. What's the best way to do this then? I wonder if maybe just... Uh... <laughs> we can just get a little browser capture in here. There we go, and I'm gonna zoom way in. Oh no, that's no, that's horrifying. Is what that is. What if we try like a zoop? All right, everyone, welcome back to Sound Bites. <laughs> These are fun. These are fun. So I'm gonna start off with some of our real short ones because I think that is a um, I don't know. That's a, that. That seems like the way to go to me. But Jade, Jade Dragon. Everyone, as you may well know, you can go ahead and uh, at any level over on Patreon, the, the level just determines what your like upper limit word count is, uh, you can send me sound bites, which is every single month you can send me a script to read. Uh, you can tell me what voice you want to hear it in, you can tell me ideally when you want to hear it, but I can only guarantee the voice and the script. Uh, you can give me any directions that you want. For instance, Jade has requested that this is read in Dumbledore's voice, and so I shall do so. Jade, thank you very, very much for jumping in here on the sound bites. This is one... <laughs> I think the title would have to be Internet Friendships Are Important and Valid and Real. And this, uh, this looks like a tweet from at Paper Fury. <coughs> Internet friendships are important and valid and real and also portable so you can put your friend in your pocket and you can't look at me and say you don't want a friend in your pocket. That was almost right. I almost got it. <laughs> I was too distracted looking at chat. One more time because it's a short one. Internet friendships are important and valid and real and also portable so you can put your friend in your pocket. And you can't look at me and say you don't want a pocket friend. There we go. Jade, thank you very, very much. Dahlia, hello. How do you do? Welcome back. Uh, Luis says... Uh, or Luis is talking about the barn update. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, speaking of internet friendships. 
Speaking of such a thing as this. All right, so that was our first one. And I think I could probably do at least one more today. Let's take a look over at what Tenacious got for us. This is Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. So let's look up some snowy woods. Let's get a good, what do we think? I think I'll go with, it was an evening, so I think I, I wanna go with something a little more shadowy. Ooh, I like this. Ooh, perfect. Delightful, okay. <laughs> um, where is it? I just need the like open, I just need the open picture. How do I? I don't remember how to do this. I feel like I've done it in the past. Am I missing a button here? What's the deal? Great, now we gotta go in here and like hunt around for it. Yeah. Okay. Um. Let's take a look at the, I'm not gonna log in for the original size. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> Okay, there. That should work. Oh, Dahlia. Dahlia, I hope you I hope you have got that rib sorted out very, very soon. I'm looking forward to you being just a tippy top shape. Maybe I can adjust this so that I don't have quite so much garbage on the screen. That would be kind of nice. There we go. I left myself a little too much space, but I think we're still in good shape here. So, Tenacia. Tenacia, I thought I saw you. Yep, there we are. Okay, Tenacia, I see you. Tenacia, thank you very much for sending in this soundbite. Uh, let me get reorganized here. This one is for the month of October. Uh, the deadline every month is, of course, on the 5th of that month. And so if you want to jump in for November, uh, if you become a patron anytime between now and then, uh, and you want to send me a soundbite, like I said, deadline is the 5th of the month. So uh, for October, these were all due, uh, let's see, about 10 days ago, 9 days ago. Uh, and for November, they will be due on November 5th. Very cool. Okay, this one is uh, the... the <laughs> Uh, no trigger warnings. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, and if y'all want a... Ooh, do I have this? I think I do. Sound bites. Please tell me I've got this programmed in already. No, I just typed it out and I didn't actually trigger the thing. Rats! Okay. Well, uh, head over to Patreon, okay? There is a there is a post up there uh, available to anyone, patrons or non-patrons, so you can sort of see what the rules are uh, and what the guidelines are for sound bites. Okay. Tanisha, thank you very much. Um... Giving me free reign with the uh, with the voices and the mood and the notes. So let's jump into this one. I think this one seems kind of quiet and meditative. And not air conditioning. Stopping by Woods on a Snowy Evening by Robert Frost. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the darkest evening of the year. 
He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. The woods are lovely, dark and deep, but I have promises to keep, and miles to go before I sleep. Miles to go before I sleep. Excellent. A nice little calm one. I like that. Uh, Sander, thank you very much for posting about that. The, uh, the link to Sound Bites. That is the guide to the Sound Bites. If you want to go check that out, I would encourage you to do so. Tanisha, <laughs> Jade, thank you very, very much. Um, and I've got another one that I would like to do today, but I am going to, uh, for, for, for Kibo potentially, but I want to see if I can verify that some folks are in first. And I think we may have some time later today. So, some good, those are my shortest ones. Those are the two that were like, kind of negligible word count. Uh, so I was like, you know what, we can get these, we can get these done and it will be very comfortable. And Sam, you don't have to panic because they're very short. So don't worry about it. Just chill, my man, my guy, my dude. And I kind of did, but not really, as you can hear. <laughs> Tanisha, thank you very much. Jade, thank you very much. And everybody, this has been, uh, I guess, part one of Sound Bites. Just a little, just a little bit, you know, just a little tiny bit. <laughs> All right, back to the library we go. Um, yes, Tanisha, an excellent choice. Uh, and yeah, I, I liked your choice for Dumbledore, um, uh, Jade. Dumbledore for that that uh, that tweet because I think that one made a lot of sense. That was a good connection there. Um, all right, everyone, how's your week going? Uh, like I said, we do not have miles and miles to go ourselves before we sleep, before we are, before we have arrived at our our destination here. Um, but uh, let's see, V. Kazrin, I'm gonna call you VC. VC says, Ugh, "I live in a city, but we have Greenway behind us, and we have coyotes." Before their cries are freaky sounding. They are, yeah. Coyotes are they're startling. They're not quite mountain lion calls. Those are the real frightening ones. That's the, them's the banshee noises, but uh, they, they are unsettling. Coyotes are. And uh, yes, Sander, a good reminder. So uh, we have got the vintage suggestion box open right now. If y'all want to head over to the Discord and uh, jump in and give us a, give us some suggestions for what we should be reading next, because you can follow the link that has popped up right now, Linktree slash Sidecar Stories. Um, we are currently taking uh, taking some votes on which we want uh, to read next. We are just about finished up with Murder on the Orient Express. We've got one more stream next week, and then uh, we're going to be spending a little bit of time uh, doing some catch-up, some review with The Hobbit, because we've got some missing bits from that, and uh, we have that open now. If you want to jump in there and uh, give us a suggestion, what you want to see next. Remember, Vintage Sidecar, that is where we shed some light on Classic Lit. Oh, I turned my air conditioning on, and somebody was making, like, big dragging noises like they were dragging an enormous refrigerator box or something outside and i was like i'm pretty sure ac shouldn't be making that noise um if you want to jump in and give us a suggestion uh i would love to see what works of classic literature you would like to see uh and then we're going to be taking a vote on that as we are doing some of our catching up and then we're going to read that darn thing all right so this is just the suggestion box um let me know what you want to hear, and we will see if it belongs in the vote. 
head on over there, everybody. Um, I will remind, I'll try to remind you again later. But, uh, yeah, v, <laughs> VC, does the VC work for you? Is that all right with you? I'm hoping so. Uh, Luis says chickens are happy with it, but the goats are struggling. Um, but the fact that I've got a coyote coming and stealing chickens, it puts mama on guard. Yeah, that would do it, wouldn't it? That would probably do it. Goats are fairly territorial, if my understanding is correct. And my understanding, honestly, it comes a decent bit from Luis the Goat Lady. Um, y'all should go check out Luis's channel if you like farm living. If you like that sort of homestead life. Luis does some streaming, and it's very entertaining. Uh, quite the... <laughs> quite the crew of critters uh, that Luis has over there. An exciting time, to be sure. Let's see. Uh, Rose says, Sam, is there a one-off plan for Halloween this year? There is not. I had a lot going on with, uh, with the um, book fair, and I, uh, I'm, I'm still sort of dedicating time to a lot of editing. So this year, I do not have plans for it. Um, as much as I would like to, I think uh, it was just too much to stack all in one place. I want to do it justice because, frankly, I, I kind of realized like I sold things kind of short for for uh, for book fair. When I when I did our book fair one shot, I was I was really pleased with the the people who got involved there. And you know, if if the overall aim is to be just very casual, it was fine. It was all right. But looking at that one shot, I. I really wish I had prepped more for it. I wish I wish I had done more prep for it. Um, and uh, you know, it was, <laughs> it was it was a time when uh, I had a lot of other prep going on. But and, and so, like, I I certainly I think I did all right. I'm glad that I did it, and I don't mind that I did it the way that I did it. But I did realize if I'm going to be doing this, especially if I'm going to be trying to like trying to really accomplish something, uh, as opposed to just slap dashing something together. I need some time to actually sort of put it together. But I will also say, you will not have to wait until next Halloween to get more uh, more, more one-shots, more fun stuff. So it will be coming much sooner than, than uh, next Halloween. I can promise you that. I promise you. Uh, Rose says, okay, just trying to figure out when I need to make you happy birthday to me. I see. I see. Honestly, maybe on a Tuesday. We're going to have that, that the, I believe Halloween this year is on a Sunday. And so maybe you can jump in there on that following Tuesday and I'll catch you then. Of course, I'll do it whenever. But, but on a Tuesday, on a Tuesday, you might get one all to yourself. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it, Orly Rose. I really am. Definitely. Don says, are the suggestions from the last vote still there, or should we just suggest those again? Um, I am going to be taking a look at those. I'm saving those. Um, if there are some that I really would like to read, I would say, here's the here's the baseline. Feel free to re-suggest since last time. Feel free to re-suggest. Because I am kind of taking a gauge of, like, which ones were, were requested last time. Um, but it will also help me to know, like, oh, I see. You are... Um, uh, you are like, <laughs> you're, you're really about this one. Okay, you definitely want to see this one. Um, and it's possible that, you know, certain people who wanted to, to hear certain books from the last time we voted aren't hanging anymore, and, you know, their lives have gotten busy, what have you. Uh, Sandra says, is Sam singing Happy Birthday a Patreon-only thing now? No, it is not, and I don't intend for it to be. Now, if you want, if you want me to, like, <laughs> do it for, like, a soundbite, if you want me to sing Happy Birthday to, like, a friend or something, uh, as a character, that would probably fit under the soundbites category. Um, that, that is the one song I'll accept as a soundbite. Hey, could you sing Happy Birthday to my friend? 
with this name as this character. That would be a soundbite thing, maybe, but for people who are actually here, if you're like here chilling with me, nah, I'm just going to sing you happy birthday. Not a Patreon only thing. <laughs> I'll just sing it extra loud if you're a patron. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Ah. All right, I'm feeling hydrated. I'm feeling refamiliarized with the space here because it feels super weird. It's been a long time. Does anybody remember what the heck we had last time? How am I going to review this when I don't know what we did? Hello? <laughs> what did we read last time? It was a three-chapter week. I'm pretty confident of that. I believe it was chapters 9, 10, and 11. Uh, <laughs> Orly Rose has very helpfully offered mayhem. Something with Nico. Indeed. Uh, last time. On per- hold on, hold on, hold on. I always say that I can do this, and I do a terrible, just slipshod job of it. Oh, boy. Now my voice is freaking out. My, my throat's freaking out, gang. Last time on... Oh, I can't do it. All right, well, stage fright, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I scoop poop. We play the game of death. And I set myself on fire. Yeah, I can't. I guess I can't do it. Maybe I'm just... Maybe I'm going nuts. Of course, it's easy to claim something when you can't prove it. Now that I'm on camera, I can't do it. So maybe I just can't do it whatever it's fine i can do other voices all right uh chapter nine i scoop poop we last time uh let's see i believe it was four or five years ago at this point last time we read this uh we were catching up with nico at the ranch um this is a a ranch owned by a demigod and a, a, a strange creature which i believe is also a god of some sort it's a little unclear, but at the end of the day, Percy harnesses some of his powers, some of his his aqua powers, because uh, he has to clean out this stable in order for uh, these ranch hands here to not turn the party in and hand them over to the Titans, because that's bad news, I think, for fairly obvious reasons. Um, it seems like he's been paid handsomely to let Percy and his friends through, but not Nico. Nico, he has been requested by some other group, potentially, to go ahead and, uh, we, don't, like, we don't know who paid for safe passage for Percy and gang, but uh, we know that the Titans are paying top dollar for demigods, and Nico wasn't on the safe passage list, so he's going to turn them over. Percy does a big fight at him. He does a big fight to him. Boom, bang, smack, pow. He wins. Uh, there's, uh, let's see. Erythritol. What's this boy's name? Eurytion? Eurytion? Is it Eurytion? What's this boy's name? Uh, the demigod. Uh, a son of Ares, so half-brother to Clarice. Um, he takes over the ranch. And uh, as, of, as of this change of ownership, he says, you know what? We might go vegan on some things. We're going to stop eating the god's cattle. All sorts of goods, good moves. Good sustainability moves for this boy. Um, Ethereon? <laughs> What's his name? Uh, basically, however... Um, they they managed to improve their conditions here. They're at the ranch, and it's finally uh, there's finally a calm moment, sort of, for Nico and Percy to have this confrontation that's been coming for a while. Nico still blames Percy, obviously, for not maintaining his promise to keep his sister safe, to keep Nico's sister safe. Percy wasn't able to do that, and she died. And now Nico is furious, and he's holding a grudge. And Percy says, you know what? 
I think your sister would want you to come with us. Nico argues back. You don't know what you would want. Blah, 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 blah. And Percy says, you know what? Why don't we ask her? We will summon her. Um, and they do so. Now, someone gets there first. The ghost of Minos, the god Minos, the one that Percy's been seeing in dreams, being a, a terrible king, uh, Minos, it seems, is the ghost that was sort of advising Nico all this time. That's bad news. We He seems to be trying to sort of push Nico against Percy, but fortunately... Uh, Bianca shows up in time, and she sort of brings up the big problem with sons and daughters and other children of Hades. They hold grudges. That is their fatal flaw. Now, I would be a little bit curious to know if this is a consistent thing throughout the series. Is it that the gods of Poseidon are, are the, the children of Poseidon are always ones who sort of will rescue their friends at any cost, even at the cost of, of the mission or what have you? Uh, is it that all children of Hades are, um, are... All children of Hades, their fatal flaw is to hold a grudge? I would be curious to know that, but I don't. So we'll have to just proceed and find out, won't we? Um, we know at the end of this that uh, she really wants... Nico to forgive Percy, otherwise it's just going to consume him. Uh, and this is where we see, uh, as, as things sort of chill out after this encounter, um, they agree to potentially go on together. Um, but uh, uh, Percy has another sort of vision. He's been having these dreams, visions, as characters in these books typically do. Um, and he sees... Uh, another vision of Daedalus, the old man uh, in the tower. We know they're trying to find Daedalus because they need a way through his labyrinth in order to uh, sort of stave off the the attack from Luke's forces through the labyrinth. Um, so they need to talk to Daedalus, and he's been seeing these these visions, and now he sees why Daedalus is not just a good guy. We see after after his terrible mistreatment by uh, by Minos, after the escape attempt in which his son dies, his son Icarus dies. Um, we see that in order to maybe maintain his position, maybe get some plans for something, he kills his nephew by causing him to fall over, uh, essentially a cliff. He's not a good guy. The party heads back down into the labyrinth, um, Annabeth and uh, Annabeth and Percy sort of move forward while Tyson and Grover um, catch a sort of they catch a, essentially a whiff of God, <laughs> just a quick whiff of God, and so uh, Grover decides he has to go and find uh, find Pan. This is his mission after all, and Tyson, in a moment of fantastic bravery, decides he's going to go with Tyson, or going to do with Grover, even though. Tyson is pretty afraid of Grover, and kind of vice versa. <laughs> After this, Percy and Annabeth end up hanging out. We're almost done, I promise. Um, I would say 80 more seconds. Count it! They go and have a quick discussion with Hephaestus, uh, in which they say, look, hey, Hera told us that if anybody knows where Daedalus is, it's going to be you, and he says, yeah, I guess so. Um, if you want to know where he is, I need you to do something for me. 
head to my favorite forge. It's under the mountain, Mount St. Helens, and uh, you need to go find out what is using my forge. Because by the time I show up, they, they clear out. I need to know what's using my forge. Maybe you can sneak in unnoticed. They do so. They get separated. Uh, a fight ensues with the telekines. Uh, these are sort of sea dog creatures, but they're also sort of master ma master smiths, it seems, and they're making some giant weapon, but Percy doesn't have time to assess all of that because he gets blown sky high uh, and hurls back to Earth, and that is where we're at. That's where we are, that is what we have got so far, and that is where we shall begin our adventure today. I do hope you enjoy. I don't know why I've selected this voice for us to continue forward, but here <laughs> I think I just popped up the wrong window. Hold on. Zoop. All right. Everyone, get comfortable. Grab your popcorn. Grab a, a, nice, a nice soda. Don't drink soda. Just drink water. Just do it. Get used to it. It'll, it'll just be crisp and delicious. All right. Sip on some tea. Yes, Jade, I like it. Or put some tea through a soda streamer. Find out what happens. Not because I think it'll be good, just because it, I want to find out what happens. <laughs> Chapter 12. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Here's a big sort of important question. Is my mouse in any way set up to do this right now? And I, I don't think that it is. I don't think that it's gonna be. Hold on, let's see what happens. There we go, okay, we're all good. We're back in it, let's go! <laughs> Turn up the heat! Swansong says, it's Percy Jackson, you have to have Dr. Pepper. I think you need some Sprite with green food coloring in it. Is that just a Baja Blast? I, know, I've, I haven't made a Taco Bell since I was in elementary school. That's probably not, that's probably a lie. I don't know. Chapter 12. I take a permanent vacation. I woke up feeling like I was still on fire. My skin stung. My throat felt as dry as sand. You know what? Actually, I just remembered. Oh, crikey. I just navigated all over my PDF. Uh, a very, very fast poll for you folks. Uh, Calypso's voice. Are we going Irish? Or are we going <laughs> bad? <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean uh, Calypso. Those are your options. You got one minute to decide starting right now. <laughs> Ready, set, go. <laughs> Sweet baby puppies. I, an Irish pirate. That's basically just... I think an Irish pirate is basically just uh, a filch. 
I'm pretty sure that's roughly what I did there. Because I think the original brief was from Rachel. Uh, I think the original brief was like a Captain Barbosa, but more wheezy. And so that's kind of what I went with. Roughly a wheezier Cap- Captain Barbosa. Which is sort of Irish pirate. I think there's a lot of Irish. I should just say there's a lot of similar mouth shapes uh, when it comes between Irish and the sort of stereotypical pirate uh, voice. Yar, matey. <laughs> One more again. Chapter 12. I take a permanent vacation. I woke up feeling like I was still on fire. My skin stung. My throat felt as dry as sand. I saw blue sky and trees above me. I heard a fountain gurgling and smelled juniper and cedar and a bunch of other sweet-scented plants. I heard waves, too, gently lapping on a rocky shore. I wondered if I was dead, but I knew better. I'd been to the land of the dead, and there was no blue sky. I tried to sit up. My muscles felt like they were melting. Stay still, a girl's voice said. You're too weak to rise. She laid a cool cloth across my forehead. A bronze spoon hovered over me, and liquid was dribbled into my mouth. The drink soothed my throat and left a warm, chocolatey aftertaste. Nectar of the gods. Then the girl's face appeared above me. She had almond eyes and caramel-colored hair braided over one shoulder. She was 15, 16? It was hard to tell. She had one of those faces that just seemed timeless. She began singing, and my pain dissolved. She was working magic. I could feel her music sinking into my skin, healing and repairing my brain. Oh, I croaked. Shh, brave one, she said. Rest and heal. No harm will come to you while you're here. I am Calypso. The next time I woke, I was in a cave. But as far as caves go, I'd been in a lot worse. The ceiling glittered with different color crystal formations, white and purple and green, like I was inside one of those cut geodes you see in souvenir shops. I was lying on a comfortable bed with feather pillows and cotton sheets. The cave was divided into sections by white silk curtains. Against one wall stood a large loom and a harp. Against the other wall, there were shelves neatly stacked with jars of fruit preserves. Dried herbs hung from the ceiling. Dried herbs hung from the ceiling. Rosemary, thyme, and a bunch of other stuff. My mother could have named them all. There was a fireplace built into the cave wall, and a pot bubbling over the flames. It smelled great, like beef stew. I sat up, trying to ignore the throbbing pain in my head. I looked at my arms, sure that they were going to be hideously scarred, but they seemed fine. A little pinker than usual, but not bad. I was wearing a white cotton t-shirt and cotton drawstring pants that weren't mine. My feet were bare, 
In a moment of panic, I wondered what happened to Riptide, but I felt my pocket and there was my pen, right where it always reappeared. Not only that, but the Stygian ice dog whistle had... Not only that, but the Stygian ice dog whistle was back in my pocket, too. Somehow it had followed me, and that didn't exactly reassure me. With difficulty, I stood. The stone floor was freezing under my feet. I turned and found myself staring into a polished bronze mirror. Holy Poseidon, I muttered. I looked as though I'd lost twenty pounds I couldn't afford to lose. My hair was a rat's nest. It was singed at the edges, like Hephaestus's beard. If I saw the face on somebody walking down a highway intersection asking for money, I would have locked the car doors. I turned away from the mirror. The cage entrance was the cave entrance was to my left. I headed toward the daylight. The cave opened into a green meadow. On the left was a grove of cedar trees, and on the right a huge flower garden. Four fountains gurgled in the meadow, each shooting water from pipes of stone satyrs. Straight ahead, the grass sloped down to a rocky beach. The waves of a lake lapped against the stones. I could tell it was a lake because I, I just could. Fresh water, not salt. The sun sparkled on the water, and the sky was pure blue. It seemed like paradise, which immediately made me nervous. You deal with mythological stuff for a few years, you learn that paradises are usually places where you get killed. The girl with the braided caramel hair, the one who'd called herself Calypso, was standing at the beach, talking to someone. I couldn't see him very well in the shimmer from the sunlight off the water, but they appeared to be arguing. I tried to remember what I knew about Calypso from the old myths. I'd heard her name before, but I couldn't remember. Was she a monster? Did she trap heroes and kill them? But if she was evil, why was I still alive? I walked toward her slowly because my legs were still stiff. When the grass changed to gravel, I looked down to keep my balance, and when I looked up again, the girl was alone. She wore a white sleeveless Greek dress with a low circular neckline trimmed in gold. She brushed at her eyes like she'd been crying. Well, she said, trying for a smile, the sleeper finally wakes. Who are you talking to? My voice sounded like a frog had spent time in a microwave. Just, just, just a messenger, she said. How do you feel? How long have I been out? Um, time, Calypso mused. Time is always difficult here. I honestly don't know, Percy. You know my name? You talk in your sleep. I blushed. Yeah, well, I've, I've been uh, told that before. Yes. Who's Annabeth? Oh, uh, a friend. We were together when... Wait, how did I get here? Where am I? Calypso reached up and ran her fingers through my mangled hair. I stepped back nervously. Oh, I'm sorry, she said. I've just grown used to Karen for you. As to how you got here... You fell from the sky. You landed in the water, just there. She pointed toward the beach. I don't know how you survived. 
water seemed to cushion your fall. As to where you are, you're in Ojigia. She pronounced it Ojigia. Is that near Mount St. Helens? I asked, because my geography is pretty terrible. Calypso laughed. It was a small, restrained laugh, like she found me really funny but didn't want to embarrass me. She was cute when she laughed. It's not near anything, brave one, she said. Ojiji has my phantom island. It exists by itself, anywhere and nowhere. You can heal here in safety. Never fear. But my friends... Annabeth, she said. And Grover and Tyson. Yes, I said. I gotta get back to them. They're in danger. She touched my face, and I didn't back away this time. Rest first. You're no good to your friends till you heal. As soon as she said it, I realized how tired I was. You're not... You're not an evil sorceress, are you? She smiled coyly. Why would you think that? Well, I met Cersei once, and she had a pretty nice island too, except she liked to turn men into guinea pigs. Calypso gave me that laugh again. I promise I'll not turn you into a guinea pig. Or anything else? I'm no evil sorceress, Calypso said. And I'm not your enemy, brave one. No rest. Your eyes are already closing. She was right. My knees buckled, and I would have landed face first in the gravel if Calypso hadn't caught me. Her hair smelt like cinnamon. She was very strong, or maybe I was just really weak and thin. She walked me back to a cushioned bench by the fountain and helped me lie down. Rest, she ordered, and I fell asleep to the sound of the fountains and the smell of cinnamon and juniper. The next time I woke, it was night. I wasn't sure if it was the same night or many nights later. I was in the bed in the cave, but I rose and wrapped a robe around myself and padded outside. The stars were brilliant. Thousands of them, like you see only way out in the country. I could make out all the constellations. Capricorn, Pegasus, Sagittarius, and there near the southern horizon was a new constellation. The Huntress a tribute to a friend of ours who had died last winter. Percy? What do you see? I brought my eyes back to Earth. However amazing the stars were, Calypso was twice as brilliant. I mean, I've seen the goddess of love herself, Aphrodite, and I would never say this out loud, but... And I would never say this out loud, or she'd blast me to ashes, but for my money... Calypso was a lot more beautiful. Because she just seemed so natural, like she wasn't trying to be beautiful and didn't even care about that. She just was. With her braided hair and white dress, she seemed to glow in the moonlight. She was holding a tiny plant in her hands. Its flowers were silver and delicate. I was just looking at... I found myself staring at her face. Eh... Uh... I forgot. She laughed gently. Well, 
as long as you're up, you can help me plant these. She handed me a plant, which had a clump of dirt and roots at its base. The flowers glowed as I held them. Calypso picked up her gardening spade and directed me to the edge of the garden, where she began to dig. That is moon lace, Calypso explained. It can only be planted at night. I watched the silvery light flicker around the petals. What does it do? Do? Calypso mused. Doesn't really do anything, I suppose. It lives, gives light, provides beauty. Does it have to do anything else? I suppose not, I said. She took the plant and our hands met. Her fingers were warm. She planted the moon lace and stepped back, surveying her work. I love my garden. It's awesome, I agreed. I mean, I wasn't exactly a gardening type, but Calypso had arbors covered with six different colors of roses, lattices filled with honeysuckle, rows of grapevines bursting with red and purple grapes that would have made Dionysus sit up and beg. Back home, I said. My mom always wanted a garden. Why did she not plant one? Well, we we live in Manhattan. It's in an apartment. Manhattan? Apartment? I stared at her. You don't know what I'm talking about, do you? I fear not. I haven't left Ajija in a long time. Well, Manhattan's a big city. Not much gardening space. Calypso frowned. That's sad. Hermes visits me from time to time. Tells me that the world outside has changed pretty greatly. I did not realize it had changed so much that you cannot have gardens. Why haven't you left your island? She looked down. It's my punishment. Why? What'd you do? I? Nothing. But I am afraid my father did a great deal. His name is Atlas. The name sent a shiver down my back. I'd met the titan Atlas last winter, and it had not been a happy time. He'd tried to kill pretty much everyone I care about. Still, I said hesitantly, it's not fair to punish you for what your father's done. I, I knew another daughter of Atlas. Her name was Zoe. She was one of the bravest people I'd ever met. Calypso studied me for a long time. Her eyes were sad. What is it? I asked. Are you... Are you healed yet, my brave one? Do you think you'll be ready to leave soon? What? I asked. I... I don't know. I moved my legs. They were all stiff. I was already getting dizzy from standing up so long. Do you want me to go? I... Her voice broke. I'll see you in the morning. Sleep well. She ran off toward the beach. I was too confused to do anything but watch until she disappeared into the dark. I don't know exactly how much time passed. 
Like Calypso said, it was harder to keep track on the island. I knew I should be leaving. At the very least, my friends would be worried, and at worst, they could be in serious danger. I didn't even know if Annabeth had made it out of the volcano. I tried to use my empathy link with Grover several times, but I couldn't make contact. I hated not knowing if they were all right. On the other hand, I was really weak. I couldn't stay on my feet for more than a few hours. Whatever I'd done in Mount St. Helens had drained me like nothing else I'd ever expected. I didn't feel like a prisoner or anything. I remembered the Lotus Hotel and Casino in Vegas, where I'd been lured into this amazing game world until I almost forgot everything I cared about. But the island of Ogigia wasn't like that at all. I thought about Annabeth, Grover, and Tyson constantly. I remembered exactly why I needed to leave. I just couldn't. And then there was Calypso herself. She never talked much about herself, but that just made me want to know more. I would sit in the meadow, sipping nectar, and I would try to concentrate on the flowers or the clouds or the reflections in the lake, but I was really staring at Calypso as she worked, the way she brushed her hair over her shoulder, the little strand that fell in her face whenever she knelt to dig in the garden. Sometimes she would hold out her hand, and birds would fly out of the woods to settle on her arm, lorikeets, parrots, doves, she would tell them good morning and ask how it was going back at the nest, and they would chirp for a little while and fly off happily. Calypso's eyes gleamed. She would look at me, and we'd share a smile, but almost immediately she'd get that sad expression again and turn away. I didn't understand what was bothering her. One night we were eating dinner together at the beach, Invisible servants had set up a table with beef stew and apple cider, which may not sound all that exciting, but that's because you haven't tasted it. I hadn't even noticed the invisible servants when I first got to the island, but that's because... What? Oh, my, my PDF is a little wonky here. I hadn't even noticed the invisible servants when I first got to the island, but after a while I became aware of the beds making themselves, meals cooking on their own clothes being washed and folded by unseen hands. Anyway, Calypso and I were sitting at dinner, and she looked beautiful in the candlelight. I was telling her about New York and Camp Half-Blood, and I started telling her at the same time, uh, then I started telling her about the time Grover had eaten an apple while we were playing hacky sack with it. She laughed, showing her amazing teeth, and our eyes met. Then she dropped her gaze. There it is again, I said. What? You keep pulling away. It's like you're trying not to enjoy yourself. She kept her eyes on her glass of cider. As I told you, Percy, I've been punished. Cursed, you might say. How? Just tell me, I want to help. Don't say that. Please don't say that. Tell me what the punishment is. She covered her half-finished stew with a napkin, and immediately an invisible servant whisked the bowl away. Percy, on this island, Ajigia, this is my home, my birthplace. But it's also my prison. I am under house arrest, I guess you'd call it. I'll never visit this Manhattan of yours, or anywhere else. I am alone here. 
because your father was Atlas. She nodded. The gods don't trust their enemies, and rightly so. I shouldn't complain. Some of the prisons are not nearly as nice as mine. But that's not fair, I said. Just because you aren't related doesn't mean you... Just because you're related doesn't mean you support him. The other daughter I knew, Zoe Nightshade, she fought against him. She wasn't imprisoned. But, Percy, Calypso said gently, I did support him in the first war. He's my father. What? But the Titans are evil. Are they? All of them? All the time? She pursed her lips. Tell me, Percy, I've got no wish to argue with you. But do you support the gods because they're good? Or because they're your family? I didn't answer. She had a point. Last winter, after Annabeth and I had saved Olympus, the gods had a debate about whether or not they should kill me. That hadn't exactly been good, but still I felt like I supported them because Poseidon was my dad. Perhaps I was in the wrong war. Perhaps I was wrong in the war, Calypso said. And in fairness, the gods are treating me well. They visit me from time to time. They bring me word of the outside world. But they can leave, and I cannot. You don't have any friends? I asked. I mean, wouldn't anyone else live here with you? It's a nice place. A tear trickled down her cheek. I I promised myself I wouldn't speak of this, but... She was interrupted by a rumbling sound somewhere out in the lake. A glow appeared on the horizon. All right, well, now we got this going anyway. We were like, we are right on the verge of a, a chapter break. I was going to just speed through until then. But instead, hello, everyone. We got to cut anyway. What the heck? Why not just jump in here? Hey, I am seeing Orly Rose. Hello. Uh, I believe it got kicked off with Dahlia and Plague Deity and Sander. Y'all, a hype train is in session. <laughs> uh, yes, it looks like Dahlia and then Plague Deity and then Sander. Sander was like, hey, I know where this, I know where this goes. <laughs> I know where this could end up. Uh, and indeed, hey, thank you a ton. Uh, and then, of course, I see Sparkle Lovegood up there in the mix. Orly Rose, thank you a bunch. Folks, thank you for the hype train. I don't think, I think this is our very first one mid-chapter. <laughs> Which is, I was just hearing like blings, blings, blings over on the side. Uh, it's, it is distracting, but hey, it's a distraction I don't mind. So thank you very much. Uh, Dahlia says, 147% left to go. We can do this. Indeed. If y'all get 200% of a uh, hype train, level 5, that's a side karaoke. Um, which, you know what? I think we've actually got a, a side karaoke already sort of booted up for tonight. So we got at least one. And I, I know we've got more banked than that. But I just mean, like, I'm, I'm not sure I want to try to load them in all tonight. Because I think we want to do... I think we've enjoyed some of these side karaoke streams. And I've got some, some, uh, some Fridays where I might be able to make that happen. So we will. Uh, we can talk about that in a bit. Plague Deity, thank you very much. Orly Rose uh, with the subs, y'all. Thank you a ton. I appreciate you. Oh, Escar, love it with a big one. I think that's probably gonna do it too. <laughs> I think that will probably make it happen, won't it? Escar, love it. Let's see. Uh, it it just gave me a big ol' a big ol' <laughs> parade. Yep, level five complete. 
That's 100% a level five. I'm guessing it got up to two. Oh no, 126%. Ooh, ooh. I haven't changed any of the settings. Um, but uh, Scar, love it. Thank you a ton, Kerfos. I see you getting in there. Uh, Y'all, thank you a ton. Uh, <laughs> hey, thanks, folks. Thank you. It's good to have you all here, and it's good to have you. Uh, it's good to see that you're still enthused about the old train. Scar, love it. Thank you a ton. Yeah, y'all, I appreciate you very much. Uh, it is, it, having taken the time off of work to to do book fair, back when I first asked for the time off, I didn't realize it was going to coincide almost exactly with, you know, like big parts of my work week. Um, because, you know, I, I asked for a Friday and a Saturday off, and then the following Saturday, because I knew I was going to be going from Sunday and I wanted I wanted some time to prepare. But I didn't realize I was going to be working starting on Fridays and ending on Monday. So it was essentially like a whole week and a half off of work. And then we had the wedding after that. And so it was like, yeah, it was kind of anxious. But hey, thank you. I appreciate you. Oh, there it is. Dahlia. Dahlia with the clincher. <laughs> Thanks, Dahlia. I appreciate you. Y'all, thank you so much. Uh, with about 30 seconds left to go. On this one, you have got uh, you've got one song in the bank. Uh, no, no ads on my watch, says Dahlia. Uh, indeed, and uh, I think people are going to appreciate it. I think people are going to appreciate that because I try not to run ads, but it's also tough when like when you're running in here. Um, you know, the one the one big downside that my channel has overall is it's hard if you miss stuff. You can't just sort of drop in and on me like you know playing some Warzone or something usually, uh, and just pick up wherever you jump in. So when you're a little bit late and you've got that ad just sitting there in front of you and you know you're missing chapter stuff, I hate that. So Dahlia, thank you a ton. And uh, to all of you who jumped in there on the hype train, thank you very, very much. Y'all are wonderful. I appreciate you. Uh, and it says, you have collected all of the level five emotes. Of course we have. Look at that. Look at all of them. Let's see. What's a good one? What's a good one for a tropical island? Uh, is it like a night? Here we go. Perfect. <laughs> Get, get that hype squawk in there. Squawk, squawk, baby. <laughs> there we go. Tanisha says, I'm kind of surprised the gods left Calypso on the Paradise Island. They haven't been super forgiving in the past. Yeah, we'll see just how forgiving they actually are, won't we? We shall see. Don't trust them. Don't trust them, Tanisha. All right, here we go, folks. You ready? Let's jump back into this. Um, and also, is there like a, are you hearing a, a bling noise every time that alert box comes up? For instance, probably right about, yeah, there we go. So if y'all can hear that, let me know. It, it's, it makes a, a bling noise and I don't, you can hear it, Plague Deity? I see. Hmm. Hmm. I don't even know how to change that. How do I adjust that? I wonder. Because it's not, it's not on my end. Like there's no, there's no window for it. Wah, wah. What can you do? I wonder if there's a... Ooh. Ooh. Oh, hold on. Ooh. Um, Parries. What is this? What? What's, what's all this then? I want to I wanna see if I can get this sorted before we jump back in. Uh, let's find out. So, uh, folks, that is an... That's, a, that's another side karaoke on the old... On the old tally, isn't it? Um... Maybe I can change it, but uh seems like maybe this is a later sort of change. So, that's fine. All right. No worries. We'll just roll with it. It's not very loud? Okay. Good. Good. The good. All right. Here we go, boo-boo. 
Uh, I'm going to rewind a little bit because I think that was, uh, <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be like a, um, I think we need to figure out what this conversation is holistically. All right. Okay. Tell me what the punishment is. She covered her half-finished stew with a napkin, and immediately an invisible servant whisked the bowl away. Percy, this island, Ajizia, it's my home, my birthplace, but it's also my prison. I am under house arrest, I guess you'd call it. I'll never visit this Manhattan of yours, or anywhere else. I'm alone here. Because your father is Atlas. She nodded. The gods don't trust their enemies, and rightly so. I shouldn't complain. Some of the prisons are not nearly as nice as mine. But that's not fair, I said. Just because you were related doesn't mean you support him. This other daughter that I knew, Zoe Nightshade, she fought against him. She wasn't imprisoned. But... Percy? Calypso said gently. I did support him in the first war. He's my father. What? But the, uh, the Titans are evil. Are they? All of them? All the time? She pursed her lips. Tell me, Percy, I, I have no wish to argue with you, but do you support the gods because they're good or because they're your family? I didn't answer. She had a point. Last winter, after Annabeth and I had saved Olympus, the gods had had a debate about whether or not they should kill me. That hadn't exactly been good. But still, I felt like I supported them because Poseidon was my dad. Perhaps I was wrong in the war, Calypso said. And in fairness, the gods have treated me well. They visit me from time to time. They bring me word of the outside world. But they can leave. And I cannot. You don't have any friends? I asked. I mean, wouldn't anyone else live here with you? It's a nice place. A tear trickled down her cheek. I, I promised myself I wouldn't speak of it. But... She was interrupted by a rumbling sound somewhere out on the lake. A glow appeared on the horizon. It got brighter and brighter until... I could see a column of fire moving across the water toward us. I stood and reached for my sword. What is that? Calypso sighed. A visitor. As the column of fire reached the beach, Calypso stood and bowed to it formally. The flames dissipated, and standing before us was a tall man in grey overalls and a metal leg brace, his beard and hair smoldering with fire. Lord Hephaestus, Calypso said, it is a rare honor. The fire god grunted. Calypso, beautiful as always. Would you excuse us, please, my dear? I need to have a word with young Percy Jackson.
Hephaestus sat down clumsily at the dinner table and ordered a Pepsi. The invisible servant brought him one, opened it too suddenly, and it sprayed soda all over the gods' work clothes. Hephaestus roared and spat a few curses and swatted the can away. Stupid servants, he muttered. Good automatons are what she needs. They never act up. Hey, Hephaestus, I said. What's going on? Is Annabeth... She is fine, he said. Resourceful girl, that one. Found her way back. Told me the whole story. She's worried sick, you know. You haven't told her that I'm okay. That is not for me to say, Hephaestus said. Everyone thinks that you're dead. I had to be sure that you were coming back before I started telling everyone that you were. What do you mean? I said. Of course I'm coming back. Hephaestus studied me skeptically. He fished something out of his pocket, a metal disc the size of an iPod. He clicked a button, and it expanded into a miniature bronze TV. On the screen was news footage of Mount St. Helens, a huge plume of fire and ash trailing into the sky. Still uncertain about further eruptions, the newscaster was saying. Authorities have ordered the evacuation of almost half a million people as a precaution. Meanwhile, ash has fallen as far away as Lake Tahoe and Vancouver. An entire Mount St. Helens area is being closed to traffic within a hundred mile radius. While no deaths have been reported, minor injuries and illnesses include... Hephaestus switched it off. You have caused quite the explosion. I stared at the blank bronze screen. Half a million people evacuated? Injuries? Illness? What had I done? The telekines were scattered, the god told me. Some vaporized, some got away, no doubt. I don't think that they'll be using my forge any time soon. On the other hand, neither will I. The explosion caused Typhon to stir in his sleep. We'll have to wait and see. I couldn't release him, could I? I mean, it's not that powerful. Oh, whoops. I couldn't release him, could I? I mean, I'm not that powerful. The god grunted. <laughs> not that powerful, eh? You could have fooled me. You're the son of the Earth Shaker, lad. You don't know your own strength. You don't know your own strength. That's the last thing I wanted him to say. I hadn't been in control of myself in that mountain. I'd released so much energy I'd almost vaporized myself, drained all the life out of me. Now I found out I'd nearly destroyed the Northwest U.S. and almost woken the most terrible monster ever imprisoned by the gods. Maybe I was too dangerous. Maybe it was safer if my friends thought I was dead. What about Grover and Tyson? I asked. Hephaestus shook his head. No word, I am afraid. I suppose the labyrinth has them. So what am I supposed to do? Hephaestus winced. Don't ever ask an old cripple for advice, lad, but I'll tell you this. You have met my wife. Aphrodite. That's her. She's a tricky one, lad. 
Be careful, I love it'll twist your brain around and leave you thinking up is down and right is wrong. I thought about my meeting with Aphrodite in the back of a white Cadillac in the desert last winter. She'd told me she had taken special interest in me and she'd be making things hard for me in the romance department just because she liked me. Is this part of her deal? I asked. Did she land me here? It is possible. It's hard to say with her, but if you promise to leave this place, and I don't say what is right or wrong, then I promised you an answer to your quest. I promise you... Wait, hold on. What is this? What's going on here? Oh. Hmm. Hmm. Possibly. It's hard to say with her, but if you decide to leave this place, and I don't say what's right or wrong, then I promised you the answer to your quest. I promised you the way to Daedalus. Well, now, here's the thing. It has got nothing to do with Adiani. <laughs> I crushed that name. Crushed into a fine powder. It has... Nothing to do with Ariadne's string. Not really. Sure, the string works. Uh, that's the way that the Titan's army will be after it. Uh, but the best way is through the maze. Theseus had the princess's help, and the princess was a regular mortal. Not a drop of god blood in her, but she was clever. And she could see, lad. Could see very clearly. So what I'm saying is, uh, I think that you already know how to navigate the maze. It finally sunk in. Why hadn't I seen it before? Hera had been right. The answer was right there the whole time. Yeah, I said. Yeah, I know. Then you will need to decide whether or not you're leaving. I... I wanted to say yes. Of course I would. But the words stuck in my throat. I found myself looking out at the lake. And suddenly the idea of leaving seemed very hard. Don't decide yet, Hephaestus advised. Wait until daybreak. Daybreak is a good time for decisions. Will Daedalus even help us? I asked. I mean, if he gives Luke a way to navigate the labyrinth, we're dead. I saw dreams about... Daedalus killed his nephew. He turned bitter and angry and... It is not easy being a brilliant inventor, Hephaestus rumbled. Always alone. Always misunderstood. Easy to turn bitter. Make horrible mistakes. People are more difficult to work with than machines, and when you break a person, he can't be fixed. Hephaestus brushed the last drops of Pepsi off his work clothes. Daedalus started well enough. He helped the princess Ariadne and Theseus because he felt sorry for them. He tried to do a good deed, and everything in his life went bad because of it. Was that fair? The god shrugged. I don't know if Daedalus will help you, lad, but don't judge someone until you have stood at his forge and worked with his hammer, eh? Huh? I'll... I'll try. 
Hephaestus stood. Goodbye, lad. You did well, destroying the telecams. I'll always remember you for that. It sounded very final, that goodbye. Then he erupted into a column of flame, and the fire moved out over the water, heading back to the world outside. I walked along the beach for several hours. When I finally came back to the meadow, it was very late, maybe four or five in the morning, but Calypso was still in her garden, tending the flowers by starlight. Her moon lace glowed silver, and the other plants responded to the magic, glowing red and yellow and blue. He's ordered you to return, Calypso guessed. Well, not ordered. He gave me a chance. He gave me a choice. Her eyes met mine. I promised I wouldn't offer. Offer what? For you to stay. Stay? I said. Like, forever? You would be immortal on this island, she said quietly. You'd never die or age. You could leave the fight to others, Percy Jackson. You could escape your prophecy. I stared at her, stunned. Just like that? She nodded. Just like that. But my friends... Calypso rose and took my hand. Her touch sent a warm current through my body. You asked about my curse, Percy? I did not want to tell you. The truth is the gods send me companionship from time to time. Every thousand years or so, they will allow a hero to wash up on my shores. Someone who needs help. I tend to him and befriend him, but it's never random. The fates make sure that the sort of hero that they send... Her voice trembled and she had to stop. I squeezed her hand tighter. What? What have I done to make you so sad? They send a person who can never stay, she whispered. Who can never accept my offer of companionship for more than a little while. They send me a hero that I can't help. Just the sort of person I can't help falling in love with. The night was quiet except for the gurgle of fountains and waves lapping on the shore. It took me a long time to realize what she was saying. Me? I asked. If you could see your face. She suppressed a smile, though her eyes were still teary. Of course you. That's why you've been pulling away from me this whole time. I tried very hard, but I can't help it. The fates are cruel. They send you to me, my brave one. Knowing that you would break my heart. But I'm... I'm just... I mean, I'm just me. That is enough. Calypso promised. I told myself I would not even speak of this. I would let you go without even offering, but I can't. 
I suppose the fates know that too. You could stay with me, Percy. I'm afraid that's the only way that you could help me. I stared at the horizon. The first red streaks of dawn were lightening the sky. I could stay here forever. Disappear from the earth. I could live with Calypso, with invisible servants tending to my every need. We could grow flowers in the garden. And talk to songbirds. And walk on the beach under perfect blue skies. No war, no prophecy, no more taking sides. I can't, I told her. She looked down sadly. I would never do anything to hurt you, I said. But my friends need me. I know how to help them now. I have to get back. She picked up a flower from her garden, a sprig of silver moonlace. Its glow faded as the sunrise came up. Daybreak is a good time for decisions, Hephaestus had said. Calypso tucked the flower into my t-shirt pocket. She stood on her tiptoes and kissed me on the forehead like a blessing. Then come to the beach, my hero, and we will send you on your way. The raft was a ten-foot square of logs lashed together with a pole for a mast and a simple white linen sail. It didn't look like it would be very seaworthy or lake-worthy. This will take you to wherever you desire, Calypso promised. It's quite safe. I took her hand, but she let it slip out of mine. Maybe I can visit you, I said. She shook her head. No man ever finds Ojigia twice, Percy. When you leave, I'll never see you again. But go, please. Her voice broke. The fates are cruel, Percy. Just remember me. Then a little trace of her smile returned. Plant a garden in Manhattan for me, will you? I promise. I stepped onto the raft. Immediately it began to sail from the shore. As I sailed into the lake, I realized the fates really were cruel. They sent Calypso someone she couldn't help but love. But it worked both ways. For the rest of my life, I would always be thinking about her. She would always be my biggest what-if. Within minutes, the island of Ojigia was lost in the mist. I was sailing alone over the water toward the sunrise. Then I told the raft what to do. I said the only place I could think of because I needed comfort and friends. Camp Half-Blood, I said. Sail me home. 
And that is the end of like an unexpectedly sad chapter. We can agree on that, right? What the heck, man? What's, hey, excuse me, what's your deal? Why you gotta spring that on us? Hey, Drifter, how's it going? Sad but good, says Luis. Uh, yeah, and so I'm I'm seeing a lot of a lot of reaction over in chat there, and you know we've seen some like some pretty rough stuff happen here, but I don't know for I guess a particular type of person, um, we can imagine how this is like the the worst punishment that the gods could offer them, right? Just like constant solitude, and then on top of that, like the occasional check in. Yeah, no, that's rough. So. Y'all, I mean, I think my Chatterbreak question that I'm going to leave you with as I go take a quick break before we move on to our next chapter is, consider that question that she asked Percy. I just want to hear, generally, I just want to hear your thoughts on that question she asked Percy. Let me go ahead and grab it directly from the text because I think that makes the most sense. Um, Why is it that Percy is sort of... Why does he support the gods? Let me just grab this. I'm just going to pop it right into chat. Uh, let me highlight it first because I'm a, I'm a, I know how to use Twitch. I know how to Twitch things. There we go. The question was, are the, uh, the Titans are evil. Or the, the statement was the Titans are evil. And she asks this, and I want to hear your thoughts on this idea. Um, and, uh, once I get back from my break, I'm going to come back through chat here and we're going to talk about what you have responded to that. But, uh, I think it's a pretty important question, isn't it? Like a vitally important question, especially now that we've seen, you know, just another instance of the gods really, really bringing pain into the world, right? Just seemingly, uh, I mean, it, it is as a punishment for something. This is certainly, it's a one-to-one, -one, right? She supported her father in the first Titan War and... So it's not like it's not like this was just sort of like so it's this isn't a big prank or something, right? Um but this is another example of a lot of hmm pretty non-benevolent behavior, pretty malicious behavior from the gods in general. I want you to think about that and uh, I'm going to be back in 5 minutes and we're going to move on to our second chapter of the day. Aren't we? Why yes we are. Indeed we are. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this chapter, uh, y'all, for anyone who is just joining us. My name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. Uh, I've gotten a good reminder to uh, to take a take a sip here, but I don't have any water left, so I'm going to have to go grab, grab some more of that. Uh, everyone, thank you so much, and I will see you in a quick five. If you want to find out more about the channel, go ahead and hit up the link right there in chat. I'll see you in five, folks. Hello, everyone. Ooh, you weren't expecting that, were you? I was back immediately. The thing said go, and I was here. That's right, Sander. You don't get to you don't get to rib me about it this week. Not today. Not today, Sander. All right. Hey, folks. We are talking about Percy Jackson and the Olympians. We're talking about Book Four. We're talking about the Battle of the Labyrinths. We're talking about Chapter Twelve. We're talking about Calypso. Not talking about you. Not talking about you and me. 
or not. We're not talking about that last bit. What we are talking about is... What's the, I'm just trying to like bring the mood up a little bit because as Fabriella has expressed, why does sidecar stories feel like therapy tonight? Like the hard part of therapy. Well, this is one, weirdly, this is one that we talked about a little bit during side karaoke. Um, it was that, it was the sort of like champagne supernova song. I think it was, uh, I think it was there. We talked about that, the sort of big what if, right? There's the, the one that got away kind of thing. Uh, we've had a couple of instances of sort of like hitting on this one particular note for a while. Um, and yeah, I think it's an important question to hit here. Why is it that Percy sides with, um, sides with the people that he sides with? Um, because whatever that reason is, it's going to be very similar to the reason that is got Calypso being here punished for, as far as we can tell, eternity? As far as I can make out, seems like that's the, that's the sort of, um, that's the term limit here is eternity. So we hit those two big things, that big sort of, the, the big issues of, of uh, I mean, proper treatment versus, like, morality, right? Who, who is, who's treating people well? Well, clearly not a lot of people. So morality and loyalty, uh, the issue of, like, well, if the titans aren't treating people well and the gods aren't doing a substantially better job of it, then why choose one side over the other? What's the, what's the, what's the difference? Um... And so the question of loyalty, what causes loyalty? Why would one choose to be loyal to one person or one group versus another group? So all that stuff about loyalty. And then, of course, this issue of like the one that got away or, or the what if like this is. Yeah, Fabriella, it does feel a little bit like the hard part of therapy today, doesn't it? Orly Rose says that's so accurate. I think it always seems to come down to the gods being capricious and cruel and awful parents, but their kids still want their love and for them to notice them and be proud, and the gods exploit the daylights out of that. We do see that. We do see that, don't we, Orly Rose? Uh, and all the rest of you, it does seem as though the gods are, um, I mean, and it's not like the, it's not like the titans are better, of course, you know, they're clearly uh, exploiting others as well, but, um, yeah, it's a clear line here that the gods are not like the good guys here. It's not the good guys versus a villain. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a couple of bad groups against one another. Um, and this side, you know, it's got it's got Percy and Annabeth and and others, uh, even Clarice uh, in uh, in many cases, trying to be better, trying to make it better here. But yeah, I mean, the the whole camp is full of people who are just being exploited in many ways. Tenacious says the gods are good compared to the titans, so they're the best option available, but they're not necessarily always what we might call good people. Heroes fight for the gods because they believe in what they're fighting for, they believe that they are the good side because the gods are their family, but that doesn't mean they don't harbor resentment at the gods for ignoring them or for using them to fight their battles. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, I mean, I think they're, I think you're definitely right. Like when it comes down to it, I, I'm definitely not one of those people who says, eh, both sides have bad things about them. So therefore they're both equal. No, we can definitely see that. I mean, the Titans, I, I, unless we are going to get some great insight into some other sort of benevolent activities of the Titans, it's clear to see that the Titans are the worst of the two. They're the worst bad guys. They're the greater villain. Um, but yeah, it doesn't necessarily give us 
a good side, right? There's no one. There's no team here that's a the good side. Or the rose says uh, a lot like a lesser of two evils rather than a good option. Sparkle Lovegood says finding out he's half blood was the first time his life made sense to him. Yeah, there is there is certainly that element of of connectedness. Right, it's the first time his life made sense. It's the first time he sort of felt like he had something that belonged, uh, some some place that he belonged, uh, both literally in talking about the camp, but also sort of figuratively, like sort of a box that he fits into. It's a huge part of his identity, and we've talked about this a ton here on the channel. Identity is a really hard thing to sort of separate people from. And the, I mean, there, I was going to say that the Titans aren't part of his identity, but it's even further than that. It's that the his identity as a sort of being on the gods' side, on, on Team Olympus or what have you, um, part of that identity is to oppose the Titans and whatever they do and whatever they want, whatever they, they, you know, are plotting. It doesn't even matter so much what it is. It is deep coded into this identity that he has accepted for himself um, or that has grown on him. And part of that identity is to oppose the Titans. VC says, so the Titans are bad and the gods are bad. It kind of feels like Percy's forced to choose between the lesser of two evils, so he leans on the side of family, even with its downsides. Yep, family, uh, family and identity, absolutely. Um, Sanders says, this is weird. Uh, <laughs> what? I don't know what you're talking about, Sander. Sander's having a conversation with somebody, and I don't know what's going on. Uh, Fabriola says, I feel like Percy has two choices, support the gods or rebel against them. There's not really an in-between, at least not for Percy with everything happening in the world, mortal and immortal versions. And piggybacking off of Sparkle, when he found out about the gods, much of the confusion in his life got sorted out. So I guess it makes sense that he supports them. But he's not doing it blindly. He's still wrestling with things. He is. And we can see that there's some of that here, but I think it's mostly just his sort of, his fatal flaw, which, you know, it is preventing him from, as far as I can tell here, that was a legit offer. He really could just sort of escape the prophecy, uh, everything. If he would just say... Okay, I live here now. I am going to be here on this island with Calypso, and that is that's where and how I live for the rest of time. Um, I really think he could have escaped the prophecy like that, but of course he's got his fatal flaw that he's working on, um, which is that it really doesn't matter what else is going on if he's got if he's got important people to him that are in some sort of danger, or even if he just needs to tell them how to accomplish this one goal they've got running right now. He has to leave. He gotta go. He gotta go. Orly Rose says, I mean, the gods at least mostly leave humanity to itself, but the Titans want to destroy everything. They're for sure the worst. Yeah, certainly. Uh, and their their methods, their their goals and their methods both, I think, point to them being the worst of the options. Um, and uh, there's, there's clearly a, a, a true villainy here. Um, and then uh, on the other side, a, a sort of a selfish villainy. But I guess, I don't know. I think the selfishness, selfishness and villainy are often one and the same. Uh, I think if you look deep enough into villainy, you almost always find selfishness down there somewhere. Tenacious said, when someone is a god, the effects of their actions are amplified, so doing the right thing is even more important because of the serious impact it can cause. Yeah, that, with, that, that idea of with great power comes great responsibility? Indeed. Yep, and the 
Uh, oh, uh, Mighty Mage yeah, brings up something interesting here. The Titans are Percy's family also. They are after a fashion, but it's definitely a, it's definitely, you know, part of his identity that he, the gods are family family, and then the, uh, uh, the Titans are that those, that, like, those cousins from out of state that accidentally killed your dog, um, like, they're not real family. They don't count. They don't count for you. Uh, as a matter of fact, part of your identity, part of being in the family of the gods is hating the family of the Titans. Yeah. Fabriella, I hope you have a good one. Have a great night. You're probably already gone, but uh, I hope you do have a great one. And Mighty Mage, welcome. It's good to have you here. All right. What do y'all think? Get into the next chapter? Uh, I think it's about time. Chapter 13, we hire a new guide. Quick spoiler review. Chapter 12 was a tough one. Um, chapter 12, Percy wakes up on an island. He's being cared for by someone named Calypso. Uh, she is... She's beautiful. She's about his age. Uh, maybe a little older, it seems like. Maybe like a couple of years older. But um, he is resting here and he's trying to sort of heal up after this big event inside uh, Mount St. Helens. It's... It's a calm and peaceful time for Percy, which he doesn't get much of that often, right? This, this is that's a pretty atypical sort of uh, <laughs> uh, opportunity for him, just to chill for a couple of weeks after he wakes up. Even before he wakes up, it sounds like uh, maybe two weeks prior to that. I don't, I didn't get the timeline exactly, but I think he was out for about two weeks, and then he was awake for a little while as well. Um, I think we're going to get a clearer timeline here in Chapter 13, but... Calypso seems to be pretty, pretty friendly toward him, pretty attached almost. Um, and at the same time, it sounds like she's being punished. She can't ever leave this island. Uh, it's not a real island. It's not in an ocean somewhere. It is a sort of uh, an island out of space and time. Uh, it exists elsewhere. And uh, Percy is pretty, you know, he's, he's frustrated by this. It seems like it is punishment because she supported Atlas during the first Titan War. Um, and so she is being punished for forever. Cannot leave this island. But there's more to it. And uh, as uh, Hephaestus arrives to sort of check in and see what Percy's going to do about all this, that's when we find that there is indeed more to it. Uh, Hephaestus mentions, hey, look, I didn't tell anybody that you're still alive because I wanted to see if you would be coming back. Um, if you do come back, I'll tell you where Daedalus is. And Percy says, I mean, of course I'm coming back. Why wouldn't I? And that's when uh, Calypso kind of reveals the the final piece of this puzzle. It's not a mistake that he ended up there. The fates send heroes to Calypso's island. Heroes that need Calypso's help and the sort of hero that she will inevitably fall in love with. And also the sort of hero that can never stay. And so every thousand years or so, she falls in love with somebody new, and they have to leave. They have to choose not to stay with her, and she continues to be alone. Occasional visits from the gods. She lives in a, a pretty uh, paradisic place, I believe is how that's pronounced. Um, but it's just like, it is, it is the most piercing loneliness that there is. And, of course, Percy decides he has to leave because he's got a plan now. 
apparently he already knows how to find Daedalus, how to find his way through the labyrinth. Um, and uh, the way that Hephaestus says it, I'm actually I'm not going to I'm not going to mention it out loud because I think uh, it's trying to sort of give you this big reveal, and we're going to see what it is during this chapter, so you won't have to wait too long. Um, but I'm not going to blow the secret. Y'all, hey, thanks for being here. Uh, as Percy heads back to his, uh, uh, back to Camp Half-Blood, uh, that is where we catch up with him, and I hope you will enjoy our next chapter. Mighty Mage says, uh, a gilded prison, and you are absolutely right. You are absolutely correct. Uh, yeah, Mighty Mage. I was considering uh, the the sort of like Caribbean sort of. Uh, I mean, Jamaican specifically. Um, I was gonna go with a a. I mean, it's not terrible. It's not. It's, honestly, it's probably a little better than my Italian accent. But um, I was gonna go with either the parts of the Caribbean calypso voice or an Irish one. And I let I let chat vote on it. You got outvoted by just a little bit, Mighty Mage. You might have been able to tie it up, frankly. Sorry. Jade says, I know what the secret is, I think. <laughs> Let's find out. Chapter 13. We hire a new guide. Before we get into this, I want to ask you all, does that, is that, as of today, is that uh, thunder noise, like, cutting off for you toward the end? Instead of just, instead of falling off really nicely, it falls off mostly and then cuts right off? Let me know if that's wonky on your end, too, or if it's just on my end. It might just be on my end. Chapter 13. We hire a new guide. Hours later, my raft washed up at Camp Half-Blood. How I got there, I have no idea. At some point, the lake water just changed to salt water. The familiar shoreline of Long Island appeared up ahead, and a couple of friendly white sharks... A couple... <laughs> and a couple of friendly great white sharks surfaced and steered me toward the beach. When I landed, the camp seemed deserted. It was late afternoon, but the archery range was empty. The climbing wall poured lava and rumbled all by itself. Pavilion, nothing. Cabins, all vacant. Then I noticed smoke rising from the amphitheater. Too early for a campfire, and I didn't figure they were roasting marshmallows. I ran toward it. Before I even got there, I heard Chiron making an announcement. When I realized what he was saying, I stopped in my tracks. You have to assume he is dead. Chiron said. After so long a silence, it is unlikely our prayers will be answered. I have asked his best surviving friend to do the final honors. I came up to the back of the amphitheater. Nobody noticed me. They were all looking forward, watching as Annabeth took a long green silk burial cloth, embroidered with a trident, and set it on the flames. They were burning my shroud. Annabeth turned to face the audience. She looked terrible. Her eyes were puffy from crying, but she managed to say, He was probably the bravest friend I've ever had. He... Then she saw me. 
Her face went blood red. He's right there. Heads turned. People gasped. Percy! Beckendorf grinned. A bunch of other kids crowded around me and clapped me on the back. I heard a few curses from the Ares cabin, but Clarice just rolled her eyes like she couldn't believe I'd had the nerve to survive. Chiron cantered over and everyone made way for him. Well, he sighed with obvious relief. I don't believe I've ever been happier to see a camper return. But you must tell me. Where have you been? Annabeth interrupted, shoving aside the other campers. I thought she was going to punch me, but instead she hugged me so fiercely she nearly cracked my ribs. The other campers fell silent. Annabeth seemed to realize she was making a scene and pushed me away. I, I thought you were dead, seaweed brain. I'm sorry, I said. I got lost. Lost? She yelled. Two weeks? Percy, where in the world? Annabeth? Chiron interrupted. Perhaps we should discuss this somewhere more private, shall we? The rest of you, back to your normal activities. Without waiting for us to protest, he picked up Annabeth and me as easily as if we were kittens, slung us both on his back, and galloped off toward the big house. I didn't tell them the whole story. I just couldn't bring myself to talk about Calypso. I explained how I'd caused the explosion at Mount St. Helens and gotten blasted out of the volcano. I told them I'd been marooned on an island. Then Hephaestus had found me and told me I could leave. The magic raft had carried me back to camp. All that was true, but as I said it, my palms felt sweaty. You've been gone for two weeks. Annabeth's voice was steadier now, but she still looked pretty shaken up. When I heard the explosion, I thought... I know, I said. I'm sorry. But I figured out how to get to the labyrinth. I, I talked to Hephaestus. He told you the answer. Well, he sort of told me I already knew. And I do. I understand now. I told them my idea. Annabeth's jaw dropped. Percy, that's crazy. Chiron sat back in his wheelchair and stroked his beard. There is precedent, however. Theseus had the help of Ariadne. Harriet Tubman, daughter of Hermes, used many mortals in her underground railroad for just this reason. But this is my quest, Annabeth said. I need to lead it. Chiron looked uncomfortable. My dear, it is your quest, but you need help. And this is supposed to help? Please, it's wrong. It's cowardly. It's... It's hard to admit that we need a mortal's help, I said. But it's true. Annabeth glared at me. You are the single most annoying person I have ever met. And she stormed out of the room. I stared at the doorway. I felt like hitting something. So much for being the bravest friend she's ever had. She will calm down, Chiron promised. She's jealous, my boy. Well, that's stupid. She's not... It's not, not like... Chiron chuckled. <laughs> it hardly matters. 
and Nebethy's quite territorial about her friends, in case you hadn't noticed. She was quite worried about you. And now that you're back, I think she suspects where you were marooned. I met his eyes. I knew Chiron had guessed about Calypso. It was hard to hide anything from a guy who had been training heroes for 3,000 years. He had pretty much seen it all. We won't dwell on your choices, Chiron said. You came back. That is what matters. Tell that to Annabeth. Chiron smiled. In the morning I will have Argus take the two of you into Manhattan. You might stop by your mother's, Percy. She is understandably distraught. My heart skipped a beat. All that time on Calypso's Island, I had never even thought about how my mom would be feeling. She'd think I was dead. She'd be devastated. What was wrong with me that I didn't even consider that? Hey, Cameron, I said. What about Grover and Tyson? Do you think... I... I don't know, my boy. Chiron gazed into the empty fireplace. Juniper is quite distressed. All of her branches are turning yellow. The Council of Cloven Elders had revoked Grover's searcher's license in absentia. Assuming he comes back alive, they will force him into a shameful exile. <sighs> Grover and Tyson are very resourceful. However, we can still hope. I shouldn't have let them run off. Grover has his own destiny, and Tyson was brave to follow him. You would know if Grover was in mortal danger, don't you think? I suppose. The empathy link, but... There is something else I should tell you, Percy, he said. Actually, two unpleasant things. Great. Chris Rodriguez, our guest... I remembered what I'd seen in the basement. Clarice trying to talk to him while he babbled on about the labyrinth. Is he dead? Not yet, Chiron said grimly. But he's much worse. He's in the infirmary now, too weak to move. I had to order Clarice back to her regular schedule because she was at his bedside constantly. He doesn't respond to anything. He won't take food or drink, none of my medicines help. He has simply lost the will to live. I shuddered. Despite all the run-ins I'd had with Clarice, I felt horrible for her. She'd tried so hard to help him. And now that I'd been in the labyrinth, I could understand why it had been so easy for the ghost of Minos to drive Chris mad. If I'd been wandering around down there, alone, without any friends to help... I never would have made it out. I'm sorry to say, Chiron continued, the other news is less pleasant still. Quintus has disappeared. Disappeared? How? Three nights ago, he slipped into the labyrinth. Juniper watched him go. It appears you may have been right about him. He's a spy for Luke, I told Karen. He's a spy for Luke. I told Karen about the Triple G Ranch, how Quintus had bought his scorpions there, and Garion had been supplying Cronus's army. 
And I mean, that, that, that can't be a coincidence. Chiron sighed heavily. So many betrayals. I had hoped Kintus would prove a friend. It seems my judgment was bad. What about Mrs. O'Leary? I asked. The hellhound is still in the arena. It won't let anyone approach. I did not have the heart to force it into a cage or to destroy it. Kintus wouldn't just leave her. As I said, Percy, we seem to have been wrong about him. Now you should prepare yourself for the morning. You and Annabeth still have much to do. I left him in his wheelchair, staring sadly into the fireplace. I wondered how many times he had sat there, waiting for heroes that never came back. Before dinner, I stopped by the sword arena. Sure enough, Mrs. O'Leary was curled up in an enormous black furry mound in the middle of the stadium, chewing half-heartedly on the head of a warrior dummy. When she saw me, she barked and came bounding over to me. I thought I was dead meat. I had just enough time to say, Whoa, whoa! before she bowled me over and started licking my face. Now, usually, being the son of Poseidon and all, I only get wet if I want to, but my powers apparently did not extend to dog saliva because I got a pretty good bath. Whoa! Hey, girl! Hey! I yelled. I can't breathe! Let me up! Eventually, I managed to get her off of me. I scratched her ears and found her extra gigantic dog biscuit. Oh, I scratched her ears and found her an extra gigantic dog biscuit. Where is your master? I asked. How could he just leave you, huh? She whimpered like she wanted to know that, too. I was ready to believe Kintus was an enemy, but I, I still couldn't understand why he would leave Mrs. O'Leary behind. If there was one thing I was sure of, it's he really cared for his megadog. I was thinking about that and toweling the dog spit off my face when a girl's voice said, You're lucky he didn't bite your head off. Clarice was standing at the other end of the arena with her sword and shield. Came here to practice yesterday, she grumbled. Dog tried to chew me up. Yeah, she's an intelligent dog, I said. Funny. She walked toward us. Mrs. O'Leary growled, but I patted her on the head and she calmed down. Stupid hellhound, Clarice said. Not gonna keep me from practicing. Hey, I, I heard about Chris, I said. I'm sorry. Clarice paced a circle around the arena. When she came to the nearest dummy, she attacked viciously, chopping its head off with a single blow and driving her sword into its guts. She pulled the sword out and kept walking. Yeah. Well, sometimes things go wrong. Her voice was shaky. Heroes get hurt. They... They die and the monsters just keep coming back. She picked up a javelin and threw it across the arena. It nailed a dummy straight between the eye holes of its helmet. 
she had called Chris a hero. Like he had never gone over to the Titan's side. It reminded me of the way that Annabeth sometimes talked about Luke. I decided that I better not bring it up. Chris was brave, I said. I hope he gets better. She glared at me as though I were her next target. Mrs. O'Leary growled. Do me a favor, Clarice told me. Uh, yeah, sure. If you find Daedalus, you don't trust him. Don't ask him for help. Just kill him. Hey, Clarice, because anybody who can make something like the Labyrinth, Percy, that person's evil. Plain evil. For a second, she reminded me of Eurytia on the cowherd, her much older half-brother. He had this... She had the same hard look in her eyes, as if she'd been used for the past two thousand years and was getting tired of it. She sheathed her sword. Practice time's over. From now on, it's for real. That night I slept in my own bunk, and for the first time since Calypso's Island, dreams found me. I was in a king's courtroom, a big white chamber with marble columns and a wooden throne. Sitting on it was a plump guy with curly red hair and a crown of laurels. At his side stood three girls who looked like his daughters. They all had his red hair and were dressed in blue robes. The doors creaked open, and a herald announced, Minos, King of Crete. I tensed, but the man on the throne just smiled at his daughters. I cannot wait to see the expression on his face. Minos, the royal creep himself, swept into the room. He was so tall and serious it made the other king look silly. Minos's pointed beard had gone gray. He looked thinner than the last time I'd dreamed of him, and his sandals were splattered with mud, but the same cruel light shined in his eyes. He bowed stiffly to the man on the throne. King Coculus, I understand you have solved my little riddle. Coculus smiled. Hardly little, Minos, especially when you advertise across the world that you're willing to pay a thousand gold talents to the one who can solve it. Is the offer genuine? Minos clapped his hands. Two buff guards walked in, struggling with a big wooden crate. They set it at Coculus's feet and opened it. Stacks of gold bars glittered. It had to be worth like a gazillion dollars— Coculus whistled appreciatively. Mm, you must have bankrupted your kingdom for such a reward, my friend. That is not your concern. Coculus shrugged. The riddle was quite simple, really. One of my retainers solved it. Father? One of the girls warned. She looked like the oldest, a little taller than her sister's. 
Coculus ignored her. He took a spiral seashell from the folds of his robe. A silver string had been threaded through it, so it hung like a huge bead on a necklace. Minos stepped forward and took the shell. One of your retainers, you say? How did he thread the string without breaking the shell? He used an ant, if you could believe it, tied the silk string to the little creature and coaxed it through the shell by putting honey at the far end. Ingenious man, Minos said. Oh, indeed. My daughter's tutor, they're quite fond of him. Minos's eyes turned cold. I would be careful of that. I wanted to warn Coculus. Don't trust this guy. Throw him in the dungeon with some man-eating lions or something. But the red-headed king just chuckled. <laughs> Not to worry, Minos. My daughters are wise beyond their years. Now, about my gold. Yes, Minos said. Well, you see, the gold is for the man who solved the riddle. Then there can only be one such man. You are harboring Daedalus. Coculus shifted uncomfortably on his throne. Uh, how is it that you know his name? He is a thief, Mino said. He once worked in my court, Coculus. He turned my own daughter against me. He helped usurper make a fool of me in my own palace, and he escaped justice. I have been pursuing him for ten years. I knew nothing of this, but... I have offered the man my protection. He's been most useful. I offer you a choice, Minos said. Turn over the fugitive to me, and this gold is yours. Or risk making me your enemy. You do not want Crete as your enemy. Coculus paled. I thought it was stupid for him to look so scared in the middle of his own throne room. He should have summoned his army or something. Minos only had two guards, but Coculus just sat there, sweating on his throne. Father, his eldest daughter said, you can't. Silence, Aelia. Coculus twisted his beard. He looked again at the glittering gold. This pains me, Minos. The gods do not love a man who breaks his oath of hospitality. The gods do not love those who carbor criminals, either. The gods do not love those who harbor criminals, either. Coculus nodded. Mm, very well. You shall have your man in chains. Father? Aelia said again. She caught herself, and then changed her voice to a sweeter one. Then her changed her voice to a sweeter one. At least let us feast our guest first. After his long journey, he shall be treated to a hot bath, new clothes, a decent meal. I would be honoured to draw the bath myself. She smiled prettily at Minos, and the old king grunted. I suppose a bath would not be amiss. He looked at Coculus. I will see you at dinner, my lord, with the prisoner. "'This way, your majesty,' said Aelia. She and her sisters led Minos out of the chamber. I followed them into a bath chamber decorated with mosaic tiles. Steam filled the air. 
a running water faucet poured hot water into a tub. Aelia and her sisters filled it with rose petals and something that must have been ancient Greek Mr. Bubble, because as soon as the water was covered with multicolored foam... The girls turned aside as Minos dropped his robes and slipped into the bath. He smiled. An excellent bath. Thank you, my dears. The journey has been a long one, indeed. You have been chasing your prey ten years, my lord? Aelia asked, batting her eyelashes. You must be very determined. I never forget a debt, Minos grinned. Your father was wise to agree to my demands. Oh, indeed, my lord, Aelia said. I thought she was laying on the flattery pretty thick, but the old guy was eating it up. Aelia's sisters trickled scented oil over the king's head. You know, my lord, Aelia said. Tedalus thought that he would come. He thought the riddle might be a trap, but he couldn't resist solving it. Minos frowned. Daedalus mm-hmm. spoke to you about me. Yes, my lord. He's a bad man, princess. My own daughter fell under his spell. Do not listen to him. He's a genius. Aelia said, and he believes a woman is just as smart as a man, who was the first to ever teach us as if we had minds of our own. Perhaps your daughter felt the same way. Minos tried to sit up, but Aelia's sisters pushed him back into the water. Aelia came up behind him. She held three tiny orbs in her palm. At first I thought they were bath beads, but she threw them into the water and the beans... But she threw them into the water, and the beads sprouted bronze threads and began wrapping around the king, tying him up at the ankles, binding his wrists to his sides, circling around his neck. Even though I hated Minos, it was pretty horrible to watch. He thrashed and cried out, but the girls were much stronger. Soon he was helpless, lying in the bath with his chin just above the water. The bronze strands were still wrapping themselves around him like a cocoon, tightening across his body. What do you want? Minos demanded. Why do you do this? Aelia smiled. Deadless has been kind to us, your majesty. And I do not like you threatening our father. You tell Deadless? Minos growled. You tell him I will haunt him even after death. If there is any justice in the underworld, my soul will haunt him for eternity. Brave words, your majesty, Aelia said. I wish you luck in finding your justice in the underworld. And with that, the bronze threads wrapped around Minos's face, making him a bronze mummy. The door of the bathhouse opened. Daedalus stepped in, carrying a traveler's bag. He'd trimmed his hair short. His beard was pure white. He looked frail and sad. But he reached down and touched the mummy's forehead. The threads unraveled and sank to the bottom of the tub. There was nothing inside him. There was nothing inside them. It was as if King Minos had just dissolved. A painless death, Daedalus mused. More than he deserved. 
Thank you, my princesses. Aelia hugged him. You cannot stay here, teacher. When our father finds out... Yes, Daedalus said. I fear I have brought you trouble. Oh, do not worry for us. Father will be happy enough taking that old man's gold. And Crete is a very long way away. But he will blame you for Minos's death. You must flee to somewhere safe. Somewhere safe, the old man repeated. For years I have fled from kingdom to kingdom looking for somewhere safe. I fear Minos told the truth. Death will not stop him from hounding me. There is no place under the sun that will harbor me. Once word of this crime gets out. Then where will you go? Elia said. A place that I swore never to enter again, Daedalus said. My prison may be my only sanctuary. I do not understand, Elia said. It is best that you do not. But what of the underworld? One of her sisters asked. Terrible judgment would await you. Every man must die. Perhaps, Daedalus said. Then he brought out a scroll from his traveling bag, the same scroll I had seen last in my dream, with his nephew's notes. Or perhaps not. He patted Aelia's shoulder, then blessed her and her sisters. He looked down once more at the coppery threads glinting at the bottom of the bath. Find me, if you dare, king of the ghosts. He turned toward the mosaic wall and touched a tile. A glowing mark appeared, a Greek delta, and the wall slid aside. The princesses gasped. You never told us of secret passages, Aelia said. You have been busy. The labyrinth has been busy, Daedalus corrected. Do not try to follow me, my dears, if you value your sanity. My dream shifted. I was underground in a stone chamber. Luke and another half-blood warrior were studying a map by flashlight. Luke cursed. It should have been the last turn. He crumpled up the map and tossed it aside. Sure, his companion protested. Maps are useless here, Luke said. Don't worry. I'll find it. Sir, is it true that the larger the group... The more likely you get lost? Yeah, that's true. Why do you think we sent out solo explorers to begin with? Don't worry. As soon as we have the thread, we can lead the vanguard through. But how are we going to get the thread? Luke stood, flexing his fingers. Oh, Kintus will come through. All we have to do is reach the arena, and it's at the juncture. Impossible to get anywhere without passing by it. That's why we must have a truth with its master. We just have to stay alive until... Hey, sir! 
A new voice came from the corridor. Another guy in Greek armor ran forward, carrying a torch. The draconi found the half-blood. Luke scowled. Alone? Wandering the maze? Yes, sir. You better come quick. They're in the next chamber. They've got him cornered. Who is it? Uh, not one that I've ever seen before, sir. Not one that I've ever seen before, sir. Luke nodded. A blessing from Kronos. We may be able to use this half-blood. Come on. They ran down the corridor, and I woke with a start, staring into the dark. A lone half-blood, wandering in the maze. It was a long time before I got to sleep again. The next morning, I made sure Mrs. O'Leary had enough dog biscuits. I asked Beckendorf to keep an eye on her, which he didn't seem too happy about. Then I hiked over Half-Blood Hill and met Annabeth and Argus on the road. Annabeth and I didn't talk much in the van. Argus never spoke, probably because he had eyes all over his body, including, so I had heard, at the tip of his tongue, and he didn't like to show that off. Annabeth looked queasy, as if she'd just stepped... <laughs> as if she had slept even worse than me. Bad dreams? I asked her at last. She shook her head. An iris message from Eurytion. Eurytion? Is there something wrong with Nico? He left the ranch last night, heading back into the maze. Nico was... What? What happened here? Oh. Nico was gone before he woke up. Orthus tracked his scent as far as the cattle guard. Irishan said he'd been hearing Nico talk to himself for the last few nights. Only now he thinks Nico was talking to that ghost again, Minos. He's in danger, I said. Yeah, no kidding. Minos is one of the judges of the dead, but he's got a vicious streak a mile wide. I don't know what he wants with Nico, but... That's not what I meant, I said. I had this dream last night. I told her about Luke how he'd mentioned Quintus and how his men had found a half-blood alone in the maze. Annabeth's jaw clenched. That is very, very bad. So what do we do? She raised an eyebrow. Well, it's a good thing you've got a plan to guide us, huh? It was Saturday, and traffic was heavy going into the city. We arrived at my mom's apartment around noon. When she answered the door, she gave me a hug, only a little less underwhelming, only a little less overwhelming than being jumped by a hellhound. I told them that you were going to be all right, my mom said. She sounded like the weight of the sky had just been lifted off of her shoulders. And believe me, I know firsthand how that feels. She sat us down at the kitchen table and insisted on feeding us her special blue chocolate chip cookies while we caught her up on the rest. As usual, I tried to water down the frightening parts, which was pretty much everything, but somehow that just made it sound more dangerous. When I got to the part about Garyon in the stables, my mom pretended like she was going to strangle me. 
I can't get him to clean his room, but he'll clean a hundred tons of horse manure out of some monster stables. Annabeth laughed. It was the first time I heard her laugh in a long time, and it was nice to hear. So, my mom said when I got done with the story, you wrecked Alcatraz Island, you made Mount St. Helens explode, and you displaced half a million people, but at least you're safe. That's my mom, always looking on the bright side. Yep, I agreed. That pretty much covers it. I wish Paul were here, she said, half to herself. He wanted to talk to you. Oh, right. Yeah, the school. So much had happened since then, I'd forgotten about the high school orientation at Good. The fact that I'd left the band hall in flames and my mom's boyfriend had seen me jumping through a window like a fugitive. What did you tell him? I asked. My mom shook her head. What can I say? He knows something different about you, Percy. He's a smart man. He believes that you're not a bad person. He doesn't know what's going on, but the school is pressuring him. After all, he got you admitted there. He needs to convince them that the fire wasn't your fault. And since you ran away, that's looking pretty bad. Annabeth was studying me. She looked pretty sympathetic. I knew she'd been in similar situations. It's never easy for a half-blood in the mortal world. I'll talk to him. I promised. After we're done with the quest, I'll even tell him the truth, if you want. My mom put her hand on my shoulder. You would do that? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he'll think we're crazy. He already thinks that. Well, then there's nothing to lose. Thank you, Percy. I'll tell him that you'll be home. When? She frowned. What happens now? Annabeth broke her cookie in half. Well, Percy has this plan. Reluctantly, I told my mom. She nodded, slowly. It sounds very dangerous, but it might work. Now, you got the same abilities, don't you? I asked. You can see through the mist. My mom sighed. Not so much now. When I was younger, it was easier, but yes, I've always been able to see more than was good for me. It's one of the things that caught your father's attention when we first met. Just be careful. Promise me that you'll be safe. We'll try, Mrs. Jackson, Annabeth said. Keeping your son safe is a big job, though. She folded her arms and glared out the kitchen window. I picked up my napkin and tried not to say anything. My mom frowned. What's going on with you two? Have you been fighting? Neither of us said anything. I see, my mom said, and I wondered if she was able to see through more than just the mist. It sounded like she understood what was going on with Annabeth and me, but I sure as heck didn't. Well, remember, she said, Grover and Tyson are counting on you two. I know, said Annabeth and I at the same time, which embarrassed me even more. My mom smiled. Percy, you better use the phone in the hall. Good luck. I was relieved to get out of the kitchen, even though I was nervous about what I was about to do. I went to the phone and placed the call. The number had washed off my hand a long time ago, but that was okay. Without meaning to, I had memorized it.
we arranged a meeting in Times Square. We found Rachel Elizabeth Dare in front of the Marriott Marquis, and she was completely painted gold. I mean, her face, her hair, her clothes, everything. She looked like she'd been touched by King Midas. She was standing like a statue with five other kids, all painted metallic. Copper, bronze, silver. They were frozen in different poses while tourists hustled past or stopped to stare. Some passers-by threw money at the tarp on the sidewalk. The sign at Rachel's feet said, Urban Art for Kids. Donations Appreciated. Annabeth and I stood there for like five minutes, staring at Rachel. But if she noticed us, she didn't let on. She didn't move or even blink that I could see. Being ADHD and all, I could not have done that. Standing still that long would have driven me crazy. It was weird to see Rachel in gold, too. She looked like a statue of somebody famous, an actress or something. Only her eyes were normal green. Maybe if we push her over, Annabeth suggested. I thought that was a little mean, but Rachel didn't respond. After another few minutes, a kid in silver walked up from the hotel taxi, where... After another few minutes, a kid in silver walked up from the hotel taxi stand where he'd been taking a break. He took a pose like he was lecturing the crowd right next to Rachel. Rachel unfroze and leapt off the tarp. Hi, Percy, Rachel said. We're raising money for our group. We do volunteer art projects for elementary school kids because they're cutting art from schools, you know. We do this once a month, taking about $500 on a good weekend, but I'm guessing you didn't want to talk about that. You're a half-blood, too? Shh, Annabeth said, looking around. Just announce it to the world, how about? Okay, Rachel stood up and said really loudly, Hey, everybody, these two aren't human. They're half-Greek god. Nobody even looked over. Rachel shrugged and sat down. They don't seem to care. That's not funny, Annabeth said. This isn't a joke, mortal girl. Hey, hold it, you two. I said, just calm down. I'm calm, Rachel insisted. Every time I'm around you, some monster attacks us. What's to be nervous about? Look, I said, I'm really sorry about the band room. I hope they didn't kick you out or anything. No, they asked me a lot of questions about you. I played dumb. Oh, was that hard? Annabeth asked. Okay, stop, I intervened. Rachel, we've got a problem, and I think we need your help. Rachel narrowed her eyes. Rachel narrowed her eyes at Annabeth. You need my help. Annabeth stirred her straw with a smoothie. Yeah, she said suddenly. Maybe. I told Rachel about the labyrinth and how we needed to find Daedalus. I told her what had happened the last few times we'd gone in. So, you want me to guide you? She said. Through a place that I've never been. You can see through the mist, I said. Just like Ariadne. I'm betting that you can see the right path. The labyrinth isn't going to be able to fool you so easily. And if you're wrong... Well, then we get lost. Either way, it'll be dangerous. Very, very dangerous. I could die? Yeah. I thought you said monsters don't care about mortals. That sword of yours. Yeah, I said. Celestial branch doesn't hurt mortals. Most monsters would ignore you, but Luke, he didn't care. 
He'll use mortals, demigods, monsters, whatever, and he'll kill anyone who gets in his way. Nice guy, Rachel said. He's under the influence of a titan, Annabeth said defensively. He's been deceived. Rachel looked back and forth between us. Okay, she said. I'm in. I blinked. I hadn't figured it would go this easily. Are you sure? Hey, my summer was going to be boring. This is the best offer I've gotten yet, so what do I look for? Uh, we have to find an entrance to the labyrinth, Annabeth said. There's an entrance at... We have to find an entrance to the labyrinth, Annabeth said. There's an entrance at Camp Half-Blood, but you can't go there. It's off-limit to mortals. She said mortals like it was some sort of terrible condition, but Rachel just nodded. Okay, what does an entrance to the labyrinth look like? It could be anything, Annabeth said. A section of wall, a boulder, a doorway, a sewer entrance, but it would have the mark of Daedalus on it. A Greek delta glowing in blue. Like this? Rachel drew the symbol delta in water on our table. Yep, that's it, Annabeth said. You know Greek? No, Rachel said. She pulled a big blue plastic hairbrush from her pocket and started brushing the gold out of her hair. Let me get changed. You'd better come with me to the Marriott. Hold for sound. We've got literally less than 25 words left, but hold for sound. <laughs> Rachel said. She pulled a big blue plastic hairbrush from her pocket and started brushing the gold out of her hair. Let me get changed. You better come with me to the Marriott. Why? Annabeth said. Because there's an entrance in the hotel basement where we store our costumes. It's got the mark of Daedalus. There you have it, folks. The chapter is over. We have read two interesting chapters, haven't we? These, this uh, this stream was a little bit shorter, but I didn't want to get into the same situation I got into with... Um, uh, I got into a bit of a sitch with Murder on the Orient Express where I kind of realized, um, you know, I, I, was, I got myself trapped in something. So instead, this one, uh, before... Uh, I think it was last week, maybe the week before, or I should say the last stream... Uh, I went through and counted out all the way through the end of the book. So I know I'm not giving myself way too much or way too little for any particular one. But we had uh, 10,000, 11,000, 12,000, 13,000. And then today was another 10,000. But then next week and the week after are both going to be 13,000 words. So we're going to be back on track then. But uh, that gives us a little bit of extra time, doesn't it? And I think that time is going to be handy because we have got some side karaoke to sing. But first... First, first, it begins. Y'all, let's talk about this book, right? Let's begin our discussion. Um, we have been rolling with Percy for a while. He heard a while ago, of course, that this was going to be a, uh, the, 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 the solution to this 
labyrinth issue of his was something that was kind of right in front of him, something he would already know, something he would already be familiar with. Um, he knows that this is a an issue that uh, is sort of like it's just been hanging out with him, right? He doesn't know what the solution is, but he knows that the solution is something he already understands. And we are going to find, uh, uh, I, I guess over the course of this chapter, we find that indeed uh, he does know this. He's known it since the beginning. It seems like this issue of like, he's got he's to gotta see well, he's got to keep his eyes open, that kind of stuff. All this sort of funny little language from, uh, from Hephaestus. He needs Rachel Elizabeth Dare, right? He needs Rachel Elizabeth Dare. And she is kind of going to be the solution to this labyrinth puzzle. Uh, she has the sight. He has this, this strange ability to see through the mist. And apparently that is going to help her somehow through this labyrinth. Um, I wonder what the implications of that are. If there are any additional implications um, of like being able to see through the mist. Because if, if the labyrinth is sort of using the mist to accomplish its uh, odds and ends... Does that mean there are also sort of other, I don't know, other other entities in the world that can use or do use the mist uh, to try and accomplish whatever their goals are? Oh, no, 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 Gwendog. No, 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 no. Uh, we have got two more streams left of this one. We've got 14, 15, and 16 next week. And then after that, uh, we're actually going to do another four-chapter night. Uh, chapters 17 through 20. Uh, so yeah, this this week was ten thousand words, and then the next two weeks are both going to be thirteen thousand each. Um, just to give you an idea of how our pacing is going to go, but uh, yeah, we've got two more streams of this one. We are we're we're rolling on through. Um, it has twenty chapters, so we are like just about at the seventy five percent mark. We're just we're just approaching that. We're going to cross it uh, pretty handily as of next week. Yeah, although that is in chapter count, not in word count, so I might have to re-explore that. <laughs> ah, okay, dig. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. Thank you, Big Mama, I appreciate you. Yeah, realistic city sound effects, Jade, indeed. Yeah, that was <laughs> uh, maybe not ideal. We, we had a, it's a hot night in Southern California, I guess, apparently, that's what I'm finding out. Um, okay. Do we want to revisit this topic of of the gods and their sort of like... I think we did a pretty good job of talking about that during the break between the two chapters. Um, so I got to figure out, what do we want to talk about here? What has struck y'all as the most interesting um, over the course of this chapter? What what are the big revelations here? Sparkle Lovegood is wondering, are we reading beyond the first five books? Uh, I will be putting them on the vote... Uh, I have a strong, I, I know I keep saying this, but I really, I have a very strong suspicion as to which um, which series we're going to be reading next. Um, and so I will I will include it, uh, but it will be a vote just like the rest of them. Uh, yeah, so Sparkle Love Good, you can, you can help decide whether or not we read beyond the first five books. You can help us, you can help us make the decision for the whole crew. Um, yeah, what else, what, what's going to sort of be the next flying sidecar read-through? Indeed. Swansong says, wait, there's more than five? Yes, indeed. So the, the, uh, the thing with these books is the, um, the sort of overall kind of Olympians universe 
is pretty expansive, but it's covered in multiple different series instead of one continuous series. So there are the, what, the Trials of Apollo is one of them. Uh, there are there are a bunch of different ones, uh, including some that are pretty well totally unrelated to the stuff going on here. Um, there is one called Magnus Chase, um, who is a, uh, that, that explores more Norse mythology. Uh, there's one that explores Egyptian mythology called... Ooh, somebody else want to help me with this one? Who's got it? Who's got it? What's the one with uh, with Egyptian? Uh, the Cain Chronicles or Chronicles of Cain? I think it's just Cain Chronicles. Uh, thank you, Tanisha. I appreciate you. Yeah, so it is. It's something that's sort of like uh, it's expansive, but it's expansive in more of a bite-sized way than just sort of a, a one-off that feels the need to cover every single thing. Um, I will be curious. I, I, I do kind of like, I, I, I like this idea, but I like it in theory. I have read, oh, what was it? I, I got into another universe like this where it was explored in sort of multiple different, um, not super linked series. And I didn't love it. I didn't love that sort of that sort of phenomenon. Again, I love it in theory, but I didn't love it in practice. But I think I've only had the one big one. Big Mama says, "Ooh, I would like to delve into some Egyptian mythology." Yeah, Cain Chronicles, K A N E. That is a that's a that's a pretty. Um, it, it it looks really interesting. It reminds me of Children of the Lamp. Uh, frankly, I have not read it myself. Um, this is the only part of this universe that I have read into. Um, Sandra, have a good one. Get some sleep. We'll see you later. Uh, but yeah, this, uh, this, this, this book was, um, th this series was one that I kind of caught up with a little bit on the late side. And so, yeah, I did not read into any of the other series, including the like trials of Apollo and the extensions of this storyline. Tanisha says, Percy is still a character in Heroes of Olympus, but there are some new characters as well, uh, in the next series. Yeah, I, I'm, does it follow Percy? Buckle Lovegood says Kane is really good. Okay, cool. I, I, I mean, I know there's a ton of lore to explore there. Uh, same thing with with uh, Magnus Chase, the uh, sort of Norse lore. Loving it. Loki and Thor and all that. Loki and Thor and all that whatnot. Uh, yeah, I'd be curious to know if uh, it follows several main characters and Percy is one of them, says Tanisha. Interesting. Cool. Okay, I like that. Uh, and that is, of course, I know I'm, I know Sam is bouncing around between a lot of different topics. That is specifically uh, the Heroes of Olympus series. Uh, in the Egyptian mythology one, uh, the King Chronicles and Magnus Chase, the Norse mythology one, uh, those are pretty well independent of the Percy Jackson stuff going on. Uh, although I do believe they exist in the same universe. I believe those are their consistent universe entries. That's my understanding. Uh, but yeah, go, go feel free to check those out. Um, I think, I don't know. I, it, this has been, like, we're, we're, of course, as we have discussed with Murder on the Orient Express as well, we are right there on the cusp of uh, a lot of new discoveries. Um, we're, we're right on the edge of that. We're, we're in that weird, weird sort of middle period, weird late middle period, wherein uh, we're right on the edge of more discoveries. We're right on the edge of solving big mysteries. Um, in this particular case, specifically, we're heading back into the maze, but now with someone who can guide us through. That's how you know. That's how you know that it's going to be a little tough to talk about because you're like, you just, you aren't able to cover it yet. Memnite, thank you very much. I appreciate you. Um, but uh, yeah, this, this, 
this time in any book is hard to discuss because we don't want to get into spoiler territory. But hey, it's right here someplace, somehow. It's coming up soon. Um, but I think let's talk about Rachel Elizabeth Dare. That seems like the, the thing that makes the most sense right now. And I'm not talking about Rachel Elizabeth Dare and the powers that she seems to have. I'm not talking about Rachel Elizabeth Dare uh, as like a uh, as, as a new player in the game. I mostly want to talk about why Rachel would participate in this. Why is it that Rachel would jump in on this action? What's her deal? Obviously, she's got this mist thing going on. Uh, it is, it's a wacky little, it's a wacky little ability to be, like, to be able to see through the mist and yet to not be anything but just a mortal, right? She is a mortal person who can see through the mist. That's not common as far as we know. Tanisha says, Rachel seems like a very spontaneous person. Rowlett says she's got a crush on Percy. And that's the thing, you know, typically, like, in other cases, we can definitely tell. I would say there are some big hints about one of our major characters. Of course, uh, Calypso. It was like fairly explicitly like, yeah, we, she's she's crushing on him. She likes this guy very muchly. Uh, but with Rachel, it's kind of up in the air. She definitely seems to be like willing to get emotionally invested in what Percy is up to. Uh, but yeah, it's it's that question definitely lingers in the air. Roll it. Does she have a crush on Percy? It's very possible. But uh, Tanisha, I like what you said there. Rachel does seem like a very spontaneous person. Um, this is like, this is a pretty wild ask to say, hey, this is about to be mondo dangerous. You want to come down into a big hole in the ground with us in a place where we'll probably get killed uh, because I'm like 68% sure that maybe you can see through part of the danger of the maze. That, that's the that's the big ask right there. That's the big offer. <laughs> come on us. Come come on this adventure with us. Probably die. Who knows? Probably die. Impossible to tell. Probably die. <laughs> big Mama says, uh, maybe Percy showing her that she's not crazy or alone engendered some loyalty. Now that I like. Big Mama, I like that. I like that. And it may, you know, that might translate into a crush as well. But like, there is definitely something to be said. It's the same thing with Percy. And I think this issue of identity is pretty pervasive here. Not only that, but I think it's pervasive in this genre. Um, but the issue of identity, the issue of finding your identity, finding, because before it was something that kept kept these folks from finding identity for Percy it was the ADHD it was the uh the inability to focus it was some of the sort of like uh not rage but but um like quick to action maybe not so quick to think on it first uh that kind of stuff it didn't give him an identity it made him sort of feel like he was on the outside he couldn't find his identity in any of the things that he participated in because he would lose focus on it or it would or he would get kicked out of it in some way same with this Rachel Elizabeth Dare. She is having a hard time finding an identity because as far as she knew, she was the only person seeing these creatures. She's looking around. There's these creatures all over the place. Maybe. What's her deal? Uh, and, and for her, the, the question is, what's my deal? Why can't, why don't I belong anywhere here? And there we have it. Percy offers her this thing, this sort of lifeline, which has got to be nearly impossible to believe, and yet you would want to believe it, I think, in her position. 
she now has an identity. He offers her a sense of identity, of, of belonging somewhere. Belonging uh, at least, maybe not in a place, but at the very least sort of with a, in a class of people. Sparkle Lovegood says, do we know for sure that she isn't a demigod? Not necessarily. I don't think we know this for sure. Now, he does, I, I think we, we've had a test here, which is that uh, Percy did take a swing at her with his sword because she startled him. Um, I don't think it was intentional. Uh, he was being chased by, he was being chased around the Grand Canyon by Skeletors. And so, yeah! <laughs> Uh, and, uh, you know, he got yawed at, and then, uh, he did definitely swing around and do a big slice on her, but he's got that celestial bronze, uh, sword, which doesn't injure mortals. Uh, and so it didn't injure her. And so that's kind of the test that we've had. We don't know for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. Sparkle love good. But we have some confidence that she's not a demigod. Otherwise she would have been injured by that celestial bronze. Who knows? Ah, maybe. Dahlia says, uh, I don't even see Big Mama's comment. Weird. Uh, that's over on Discord. Big Mama's rolling in Discord. Uh, and uh, yeah, the <laughs> Dahlia says, by helping our intrepid heroes, she will hopefully discover more about herself and her own powers. That would be good. That would be good because, I, frankly, I'm dead curious. After the last book, after the last book, um... Just really hard not to be curious about a character that shows up for a little bit, can do something crazy that nobody else can, and then doesn't show up again for the rest of the book. She's gone. She disappeared. Poof. Rachel Elizabeth there goes into the hat. And what? Oh, what I've, what I've pulled out? I can show you the inside of the hat. It's empty. It's gone. No more Rachel Elizabeth Dare. What? Excuse me? <laughs> what now? She's just gone. So yeah, I do hope that we find out much more about Rachel Elizabeth Dare and what her deal is. I want to know what else she can do, but mostly the big, big, big thing I want to know. How does she have them in the first place? Tanisha said she's pretty brave, though. That sounds scary to see monsters most other people can't see. Absolutely, right? And again, this is the sort of thing that'll make you feel like you're on the outside. But... Percy offers her this sort of sense of, okay, you're not you're not totally alone here. You might not be quite like us, but there's a world here that you are clearly part of. And for her, now she's got that as part of her identity. And I think, yes, I think there is definitely some truth to the idea that maybe, maybe, uh, uh, Big Mama, I think it's the one who said it. Yeah. Um, maybe she is feeling some loyalty here because Percy is the first one to offer Rachel some sense of identity some sense of being and belonging with someone good night kerfos adios we'll see you later thanks for joining us we'll miss you how many different ways can i say goodbye do you think what is that weird star symbol next to your name what is that cheer 10,000. Ooh, look at you go look at you go yeah there are a couple of stars in chat but uh i, I hadn't seen the red one before um all right all right now, folks, I think with that bit of discussion there, talking about identity uh, and how, you know, like I said, you, you have, uh, you've seen this before. We all have. This exists frequently in this genre. Uh, just this sense of identity playing a major part in why people do things. Uh, and I think this genre of th this, this whole sort of demographic, 
By the time you're reading adult fiction, oftentimes that issue of identity is either it's already been sort of solidified or it is a central point of conflict that you have already chosen your identity and you're sort of conflicting with it. In this genre, when we when we rewind uh, when we rewind to this age group, then we can get a sense that uh, uh, you know it's pretty important the idea that people are just now finding their sense of identity, just now finding where they belong in this great wide world, or in whatever great wide world we happen to be exploring. <laughs>